Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. This episode is old school Boston BJJ Roberto Maya Black Belt John Frankel. John is a highly regarded coach and is credited with bringing BJJ to Korea. He's also a really smart guy, and we're lucky to have him share with us some of his training philosophies. Big thanks to John for joining us. We're grateful to have you on the podcast, and we hope you guys all enjoy this episode. As always, this episode is brought to you by the world-famous Tortuga Soap Company. All the things you need to keep you looking and smelling good, use the discount code PODCAST and get 20% off your order. Port City BJJ, home of the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. If you're ever in the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area, please come check us out. We'd love to have visitors come and train with us. PortCityBJJ.com And BJJ Prehab. BJJ Prehab is a program of custom videos designed to help prevent injuries and keep you on the mat, or in this case, to get you back on the mat healthy and ready to train. BJJPrehab.com Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really do appreciate to have all the support we have from you guys. We hope everybody's doing well out there. Keep spreading the good vibes, everybody. Stay healthy. Peace. Welcome, everybody, to the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Um, John Frankel, thanks for joining us. Sun early Sunday morning in South Korea, and we got a special guest host tonight, Nate, the librarian Ryan. <laughs> I'm so back. welcome, man. Thank you, guys. And then we got M- Mohawk Jay as usual. As usual, they say at this point. So, um, John, it's nice to meet you, man. I've never met you, um, but you're like Boston BJJ uh history legend. man so legend um we started this we started this podcast to kind of to document the history of of roberto and and boston bjj and now it's kind of grown into something else but um every time we've talked to nate we've talked to pat we've talked everybody we've talked to john frankel always comes up so um welcome Thank you. No, thanks for having me. My my first story, it's 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 kind of sad. Nate's already told it. When I heard Nate tell the story twice, and mine is almost identical. I I heard about uh, Boston Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I went down there. Uh, they were on these uncovered foam mats. So you know, there's like uh, foam little. They were like, I think they were for making mattresses or something, but they had no cover on them. They were just duct taped together. So everyone had little like styrofoam things in their hair and all over their gi. But I was, I was watching there. There weren't that many people there. I was watching Pat roll and it's exactly almost basically exactly how Nate describes it. Pat was moving so slowly and, and so comfortably. I'm like, Oh, I can take him and I, and there were other people. I think there was, so Pat and Joe, is it Joe best? Was that the other Joe? He was a purple belt. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about him. He's like kind of big and strong and fast. And you know, it was the opposite. I, I, you know, rolling. It's like, I felt like I had a chance with Joe best and I could do nothing with Pat 
when I finally, I mean, I joined the next day and, you know, I, I think about it today and it's like, yeah, people probably, I mean, the better you are, right. Uh, the less you're, you're actually doing and the less you're moving and you're not breathing hard or straining. And so, you know, when someone comes in and doesn't know much jujitsu, they, they probably make the same mistake I did. Yeah. I guess that that's just a natural thing. So I don't have to be too embarrassed. You know what's funny about that is that is that that story about Pat is is kind of uh, very widely told. You know, I like you know a lot of my guys who've never even rolled with Pat, and I'm like, I like you know the the story of like the anaconda. You know, the the analogy with jujitsu is very true with Pat. It's like the more you move, the more he's got you, and it's almost uh, irrelevant of your style. You know what I mean? He Pat has a way of adapting to whatever your jujitsu style and is. When we were all new, it was, it was about getting your ass kicked by a guy who seemed like it, he wasn't even trying, which is funny because the last time I was with you, John, that's basically how it felt. <laughs> it's a goal. The more I was getting my ass kicked. No, I mean, I think it should be everyone's goal in jujitsu. Jean-Jacques Wichado, I, I saw it recently, but I saw it for the first time maybe five years ago, and he says – he, you can find it. It's a meme now, I think. But he said, you know, the the more I do jujitsu, the less I do. And he said, but you have to know a lot to do a little. And I'm like, okay. It's a, it's not the most eloquent way of saying it, but I know exactly what he's saying, right? And no. that's kind of my goal as well. It, it's funny you talk – when I saw that meme, when I saw that – You've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. And I thought, Jay, there was a – you came down – and, John, you were here too. But, Jay, you came down to Matthew to Jay – I forget why we, we were down there for some celebration. Like Roberto was there. You were there. I think, I think we, it's in the time when you were around, but I remember these, these white belts or blue belts were rolling Jay. And I was standing on the side of the mat with you. And I think Pell was standing there and you, you looked at me and, and they, they got up off the mat and the guy was like, his gi was drenched in sweat. He was dripping. He was breathing. You go, I miss those days. Like <laughs> I have hard rolls now and I'm tired, but I don't roll like I don't get off the mat where my gi is dripping, you know, like because we had to work. You had to work so hard when you didn't have the technique. You know what I mean? So now we get by by being smarter and it's 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 the right way to do it. But I totally got what you were saying. Like, I miss those days of just like everything you have to fill the hole for what you didn't know, you know. So I think I'm jealous of those those earlier days when it was such an emotional experience to be on the mat because you were so zapped by the end of every class. You know what the funny thing is like, I, so I thought about this before we got online. I remember the first time I ever met John, um, we were in the downstairs Academy at, uh, at Boston, which is like, I think if you're old school, Boston, that, that mat, we talked about in the previous podcast, that place was legendary for kind of, um, you know, kind of like making your chops, you know what I mean? In jujitsu with that, cr- that crowd, it was a tough crowd to survive in. And um, I knew a little bit of jujitsu. And I, when I say little, like in context of where we all are now, like it was 0.005%. And uh, there was lockers there, like little lockers. And like John was putting his stuff in the locker next to me. He had this Bowie knife, like, like this long. And I, and I think I've, I've asked you about how you did this about like a million times. And I was like, what'd you do? He's like, I made this. And, you know, he took a class on blacksmithing and like went and learned how to make blades. And he rolled that day. And I tried to ankle lock him. 
and the angle was off and it was really kind of weird. And he was kind of, his hip was kind of turned and I, he got out, like he got out and then it was like prison rape. And <laughs> after the match, he was like, you may not even remember this. You were like, you're like, Hey man, don't try to heel hook me. And I was like, I did not, I don't even know what a heel hook is. He's like, yeah, you did. Yeah. You like, cause I had the ankle and he turned his leg. And so the heel popped in and he kicked my ass. Yeah. It's like a really valuable lesson. And because of that day, like I'll never forget it. I tell all of my students, I'm like, if you don't know how to properly do this and you don't know how to properly escape, like don't play, just like kind of catch and release. And that's kind of how I think a lot of people play now. But I remember walking away like from the class and getting into the car thinking like, this guy's really smart. He's like kind of like a, um, what's the word? Like uh, no, no, uh, uh, a little bit of everything and a lot about something. What do they call that? A, um, a Renaissance man. Um, and also, don't try to footlock John. <laughs> that was my. That was the first time we ever met. Sorry, dude. It was. <laughs> so John, John, when, when you you so you started in the upstairs. Do you remember the year? Like when was that? Yeah, it's easy. It's easy because it, it coincides with school. So it would have been ninety four. Um, let me make sure that's right. No, no, no. 95? That would probably maybe. Be. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm I think I think it was 95, yeah. <clears throat> and so you had come from California. You started and So I started absolutely in 94. So I did a year in California. Oh yeah, so my background for for jiu-jitsu is I had been doing all these other martial arts my whole life. Felt pretty proficient, trained trained hard, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't that I didn't train hard. It was that the systems themselves weren't very realistic. And for context, this was another time. That's oh yeah. back to say oh, that. Yeah, yeah. The time we yeah. were all doing what we thought was. Oh no, my intentions were exact. Thing, were right. totally pure, right? It was just lack of lack of access, right? Right. I mean, there were probably there when I when I was first exposed, there were two Brazilian jiu-jitsu places outside of Brazil. It was Hawaii and L.A. That was it. You know, Horian and Hell's. Um, that whole split with the Machados and Hickson hadn't even happened yet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had a buddy training in Hawaii. He showed me some of it. I was completely impressed. And this is 1989. So I was like, wow, I got to do that. But uh, I was living in Korea, going to going to graduate school. And so, you know, I got the Orion's VHS tapes and kind of played around with, with friends over there, but didn't get formal instruction. So I finished my master's degree and moved back and so i you know, moved back uh immediately moved to la and did a year with hicks and that's where i got my blue belt and i was in boston for school and then it, there was a little gap roberto wasn't advertising yeah um there was a like if i showed up in september i probably didn't get to roberto's until november december i don't remember but for a couple months i was putting up flyers around school and mike Benzel saw a flyer and he had trained he got his blue belt from from helson in hawaii he, he did his undergrad in hawaii and he was going to law school and so mike calls me and then mike and i are training just in you know random wrestling mats cool and then i somehow asking around found out about roberto and then i went one day without mike and i told him like oh it's, it's good let's go and i brought mike down and we just joined yeah well, you're the one that brought mike in i didn't know that oh yeah yeah we were just we were rolling around um, 
on on school wrestling mats for a couple of months before I even knew Roberto existed. Did you find him on the website? There was no website. Because Craig Baum built that. And it's funny, you were talking and I was wondering how you ended up finding him because... Um, Word of mouth, just yeah. other martial artists around Boston. Someone knew. Yeah. Hashtag like the, literally the greatest website ever. Like the most fun I've ever had on one website. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, yeah. can we take a step back like to, to your initial, like, you know, you got your blue belt from Hickson. So many of us, like, you know, you, we go through the same rigmarole as far as, uh, you know, starting jujitsu, the experience and everything like that. Did you, like, when you hear or when you have your students, like, do you think your experience from white to blue was different than a lot of people might have had because it was Hickson because of his, like, you know, he, he obviously has very high standards and he's a legend in jujitsu. What was that like? Yeah, so he, you know, realistically, I saw him maybe twice a week. He was really involved in his own training. It wasn't like I took six classes a week directly from Hickson. And even when he was there, like if he was there twice a week, maybe he taught one class and he just, he, I remember he'd ride in on his bike. He was riding his, he was just training all the time. So he'd ride his bike um, and he'd get there. And, you know, Luis was my main instructor. He was a Brown belt at the time. He's in Maui now. Heredia? He, yeah. And, you know, Sometimes if Hickson got there early, he would teach the class, but oftentimes, you know, the class was already ongoing and he would just sort of walk around and say hi to everyone. He was really friendly and, and he would point things out. Like, you know, I remember doing some, some like, you know, when you're trying to, you, you're warming up and you're doing some bridging and then you bridge to one side and then you bridge to one side and kind of thread the needle and pull your, pull your foot underneath. And I remember as a white belt, him just like walking around the mat and I, I, I was probably stepping over, which everyone does at first, you know, they, it's kind of a, it's not natural to pull your leg through the bottom. And he just pointed that out to me. There were things like that, you know, even when he wasn't teaching. Um, and I think the standards were high, but, but it was also kind of disorganized in, in, a, in a good and bad way. You know, I think, uh, you know, later he came up with a curriculum, but there was no curriculum. It was kind of like, uh, you had to have private lessons before you could go into group class and there was no guarantee uh, how, you know, it could be like you only need two months. It could be a year, but whoever was giving you privates, and that time was Luis, was a brown belt. There was Mauricio and Jason and they were purple belts. And I got with Luis, other people were working with Mauricio and Jason, but you know, they would, I was doing one half hour private lesson a week. Um, and that was still 160 bucks a month. That's 26 years ago. You know, I didn't have that. I mean, I, it was all Gosh. the money I could scrape together eating ramen and rice and beans and stuff. I mean, I wanted to do this pretty badly. So now, yeah, as a quick aside, when, when people like tell me they don't have money for jiu-jitsu while they check their brand new iPhone and drive away in their brand new BMW, I, just, I can't deal with it. That's part of the reason I stopped running an academy myself because the whole jiu-jitsu and money thing was just didn't work for me. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was disorganized in a good way because it was like, you couldn't just tick the boxes and get a belt. Like, Oh, you know, all your techniques and you've, you've paid me for a couple of years. So I'm going to give you a belt. It was kind of like start with privates with no guarantee that you'll ever get into the group class. Then come into the group class and train really hard with no belt tests or anything. And one day I still remember exactly how it happened. I was training with a blue belt, had him in my clothes guard, 
uh, you know, got a got a wrap over his arm to the lapel and finalized him with it with a choke. And then class was over. Luis walks up to me, pulls a blue belt out of it. He's hiding a blue belt and his he pulls it out and he's like, "Good job, man, your blue belt." I'm like, "Okay, thanks, man." <laughs> blue belt. That was it. So super informal, and but super performance based. You know. It wasn't like you haven't been here long enough or you don't know enough of this. You just, it's like, oh, wow, you just tapped that blue belt and you've been training a while. And he just decided to give it to me. Yeah. So was I, that I, Hickson's I, Academy? Yeah, on Pico, his, his first one when he left Torian. How long had it was he been a, It was a karate school with hardwood floors. And before every jiu-jitsu class, we folded out the mats, the accordion mats. And after every class, we folded them up. Never sterilized them even once, of course. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a karate school. But those guys trained like Tuesday and Thursday, seven thirty to nine, and the rest of the time was empty, right? And so Hickson basically took all the other hours. Is that where um, you kind of like have that? So I really admire. You know, one of the things I admire about you is that you kind of you you have the the freedom and the open mind to train with a lot of different folks, right? you've got your SBG affiliation. You, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're a Boston black belt started with Hickson. Um, and you have this, this, this pretty close knit relationship with Henry Aikens. Was that based on, uh, the first introduction with, with Hickson Gracie Jiu Jitsu or did that start later? No, we, we pieced it back together and we did overlap, but we didn't know each other at the time. Um, you know, I, I think I was, I, I may have been there, a few months before him and I may have left right around the time that he was really starting to live in the Academy and work there. And I, cause I don't, I don't remember him being like there. I think eventually he was like a manager, secretary, like did all the things. I think that was probably after I left and the business side of it kind of got more organized. Um, I just remember Luis doing all that. So it was more, but that connection mattered, right? That Hickson DNA, we were able to connect. We knew all the same people. And so it was like, there's, you know, it was like if I met someone from Boston right now um, and I, like, we didn't overlap at all. Right. But, but it's like, Oh yeah, I trained with Roberto or Nate or Pat or, or, or you, you know, there's an autumn. I don't have to have known him at the time to have like an automatic connection and trust. Right. 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 So we, yeah, we, we have that. So what brought you East? Going to grad school. And I got into UCLA and I was very, very tempted to just stay at Hickson's and uh, study there. Uh, but I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. You know, um, there, there are, I mean, Boston, Brazil, I, I would say going to Boston is probably, you know, was better for my jujitsu in some ways. Um, I, I mean, and that's not just, that's not to say uh, in all ways, right? I mean, Hickson is Hickson, right? And, yeah. and it was more organized back then. You know, they had a head start. They had a big head start. But, you know, there was a lot of – Boston was interesting. There was a lot of freedom. Um, I'm glad that I had my blue belt, and I'm glad I had, like, really solid fundamentals because Roberto was more like, what's Gracie Baja style? I mean, he, he would be showing really advanced stuff. Uh, kind of out of order, you know, some days would be really fundamental, some days would be really advanced, or wasn't that real compounding structured curriculum. And so, yeah, in some ways I probably got exposed to a lot of things uh, earlier than I, than I otherwise would have. So it, it, you know, it worked out. I'm, I'm, I'm super 
glad I did it. So how did you find Boston originally? Uh, just word of mouth. I was training with Mike Wenzel and I, there were some other people. I was doing some kickboxing and someone was like, Oh, but Oh, you're doing kickboxing, but you're, you're doing grappling. Have you heard of? And I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't know there was any Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, I knew, I knew about Joe Moffey out in Watertown. Um, was it a Waltham? Sorry. Out in Waltham. Waltham. Um, but you know, that was just, he, his, style was not right for me and he and he was doing brazilian jiu-jitsu in addition to a lot of other kooky stuff and so and i and i like joe i mean i've never really met him but like online we were cordial and stuff but i didn't think i really wanted to do that and so yeah eventually someone mentioned it and i'm like no i've never heard of this and then i went in and you know i met roberto the first day he was super cool and you know i think a, like if looking back on it he might have been a little bit wary of people coming in you know he 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 wanted to he wanted to you know he didn't want any weirdos just coming in there and I, so it was like there was an initial moment and i don't know if i caused it by by asking too many questions or benching hickson too early or whatever but there was like a couple uncomfortable moments but you know i mean literally moments after once he realized that i wasn't there to do that you know, and I was asking him how I could sign up and everything. And I was, I was there training the next day. It was, it's been great ever since. How many, how many people were training in Boston when you showed up? Like in a class? On any given day? Yeah. 10 to 15, I would say. Sometimes, maybe sometimes 20. The, the, the first room wasn't that big. Like the mats weren't covered and the room wasn't that big. Um, it was it was a karate school, and I don't and and like the one that Hickson rented from. It's like Roberto was doing the same thing. It's like, oh, you have this this karate school, but you only use it, you know, five hours a week or two hours a week or whatever. Why don't I make some classes in the other hours? And so it, I don't think who it was. We you guys were talking about last time it was another Joe. Um, I don't remember his last name. It was a small blonde haired kid, but uh. He, you know, he let Roberto do that, but I don't think he need, I don't think he had rented that much space because he didn't have that many students. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't big like the, when we moved downstairs. Most probably, everybody, most everybody was white belt or. Yes. But Pat yeah. was a purple belt. Yeah. Pat, Pat and Joe were purple belts. Um, yeah, mostly white belts. Mike and I had blue belts, but from other places. Um, yeah. What, uh, so you had, you had a pretty extensive martial arts background before you started jujitsu, right? Yeah. So what other arts have you, had, have you studied and kind of what was that? Well, like, like just, I mean, when I was a kid, like, yeah, like, like neighborhood, neighborhood, uh, I, I was in a pretty small town, so there weren't that many options. So neighborhood karate school. And then yeah. when I went to college, started started taking it really seriously because like in high school I was swimming and playing water polo and doing all this stuff. And so those, when those seasons would come around, I would be lazy about martial arts in college. I had no chance of playing any sport. Um, I don't know, bowling or something, but you know, I, I, I went to try to walk onto the water polo team. I remember, and I looked at them and I'm just like, okay, this has got to be the basketball team because you're all like six, nine, huge. <laughs> like, nope, this is the water polo team. And I'm just like, okay, I'll, I will, uh, 
See you guys I'll, later. I'll, yeah, I'll study. I don't think I'm gonna, it was it was like it was like probably jumping to the pros because there's no pro waterfall. Um so uh yeah, so I started doing Korean martial arts, Kuksur One, which is like basically Hapkido style. And it, you know, like Nate said, I was doing it for the right reasons because their advertisement was like, Oh, we do kicking and punching and, and grappling and ground fighting. Yeah, it turned out to the train the, the techniques and the training methods were were not realistic, but the advertisement of it was, and, and you don't really figure that out for a long time either. There was no UFC and, you know, they, they have their ways, not, not like evil, but they just have their customary ways of, of keeping you waiting. You know, I think all martial arts do that to a point. Um, and then, yeah. And when I was really in the middle of that, uh, basically I was, I was, I was feeling that it wasn't realistic enough. So I didn't, quit it because I had a really close relationship with my instructor, but I started cross-training in Muay Thai and I started cross-training in Filipino martial arts. And then, you know, by the time I graduated and I was going to Korea, I was pretty much more or less getting ready to be done with that. And then after the year in Korea, when I, when I met my buddy in Hawaii, that kind of, that kind of sort of ended that chapter and began, you know, looking for the chance to train jujitsu formally training, you know, by video, but there was, but there was availability at that time of, of Muay Thai and Filipino martial arts. So I kept doing that. So, uh, so that was, the, that was your original trip to Korea, right? Uh, second, I went for a summer the year before just to check it out. I was going to go for a year, a year abroad, junior abroad. And my dad said a year, what if you hate it? And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a good, good point. He's like, why don't you, why don't you go the summer before? So I, I was there about six weeks in the summer of 87. And then I went for a year, uh, 88, 89. But yeah, the first time like that I could say I lived there here, here, here. So if you're, why'd you pick Korea? Right. Um, I think it was part, well, it was partly martial arts, you know, cause I was really heavily involved in Korean martial arts at the time. But, uh, yeah, that was mo- that was probably most of it. It was kind of random though because I originally when I took a uh, Korean language class, it was a graduation requirement and I was I I really had it in my head that I would do it for a year and then quit. But I liked it and I did it another year and such. So, you know, yeah, that's how it went down. But it's 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 interesting because obviously Korea has become a pretty substantial part of your life. Uh, oh yeah. For, for any of you guys listening, you know, what John probably wouldn't say himself is that he, he brought Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to Korea and, um, obviously that every day to me. <laughs> What's that Nate? He brings that up every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> so like, what, what was it, you know, about Korea that, that, you know, obviously the initial interest was martial arts, but like, obviously there's, there's a love there and there's a connection there. Yeah, that took a long time, though. I mean, I, it's funny. Um, I've I've left Korea, you know, permanently three or four times. So I remember vividly coming back from that first year, 88, 89. My dad picked me up at the airport, San Francisco. He said, how'd you like it? And I remember exactly what I told him. I said, I liked it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I did it, but I'm never going back to Korea. And I, and I believed it. I was kind of burnt out. It was my first time to be away from home for a year. Uh, Korea was super kind of rough and anti-foreign at the time they were going through their own you know transformations and i really believed it and then you know six months later i was back here but then i left uh, yeah i mean i feel very comfortable now i've been here about 15 years straight uh, except for that sabbatical year when i was in boston with you guys 
but basically, you know, I've, I've been at my job for 15 years. I like my job. My, my wife and daughter are super comfortable here. So, but that took three different times of like coming back to America and being like, okay, Korea's out of my system. I'm just going to live in America. And I, and at the time I really believed that. So it wasn't just automatic either. You know, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like kind of where you left off at Boston, which is like that downstairs time. Cause that's where I, like, as Jay said, I think that's where a lot of people really have those memories. Like it, and you kind of said it, there was a freedom for all of us, you know, Roberto was kind of heading the ship, but kind of let us find our path in jujitsu. And there were some really talented people coming from all over new England. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts, like from the beginning of you going in and all the people that we trained with there, just um, kind of your story there, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the upstairs, like I said, it was just, it was just kind of rough and tumble up there. And then by, by the time we moved down, you know, it was, it was, it didn't take that long because like he was growing pretty quickly. Um, and we just, you know, we had enough people and a need for more space. And um, so, yeah, by the time we were down there, it was bigger, cleaner, you know, more organized. And, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a virtuous cycle. You know, you have a bigger, cleaner space and you attract more people. And I think the website and, and, you know, uh, the popularity of jujitsu through, through the UFC was, it, everything was just growing at that time. Um, and then in not only the UFC, like Japan, Japan got really huge all of a sudden, right? And Hickson was fighting Japan and those events were really good. So you had, you had this American based show and a Japan based show. And there was just a lot of momentum and energy flowing into jujitsu. So, yeah, I mean, I was there, uh, I, you know, I don't know the exact order. It was, you know, at that point it's like Pat and Joe were already there. Then Mike and I came, I don't know who would have been, the next wave, like, when did you come back to Boston, Nate? Like, when did you graduate and start permanent? Because you would come up and train on vacation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, it's hard for but me. When to, did you graduate like, Kansas? That would have been like uh, the 90. Definitive. Yeah, but I was uh, 98. So you were probably in and out from 96 or something when you'd come back or 95, yeah. right? Yeah. So you were, you were early. Um, Kenny and Keith were there when I was there. Like I remember they, them. There. I remember they you. were already there because yep. yeah, they they came they came pretty early, and they had trained a little bit with Hoist. Yeah, um, they were in their basement at that point. Yeah, they didn't live out in LA, but I think they went out there for like a week and trained with Hoist, and they were probably doing what I was doing with the videos, you know. And they were both good athletes anyway, right? College level soccer players and stuff. So you know that helps too. Like if you're already pretty athletic and you, and and you're young and you're motivated. Those those uh, Dr. Florian, you, Dr. Florian was a black belt in judo and he was teaching. Oh, was he? I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah. But you but you know, I have to say, um, if you go back and look at those first the first set of tapes from Horian, you could you could learn a decent amount. Yeah. And I I don't mean like hundreds of sweeps or anything, but you know, what you could learn what you really needed. And that was I think um this is an aside, but I think it's important because I'll forget it if I don't say it right now. I remember coming up in Boston, but the whole jujitsu world, there was this thing where, you know, Horian is hiding techniques and Horian's holding people back because, you know, the Machados would come up 
and they'd show people a bunch of like spider guard and Horian would be like, don't show them that. Or someone would come up and start showing the new stuff from Brazil and Horian would be, don't show them that. And I just kind of took it at face value at the time. But again, having, you know, done this now for 26 years and looking at, um, Hedon and Henner, you know, who are trained by Horian and looking at, uh, Henry Aiken's material. I'm like, I really think that he had a philosophy, which is like, you don't need to do that. And you're abandoning all of these techniques that work to do things that you don't need. And I, I really trust his philosophy now, you know? Um, and I don't, I can't get in his head and say why he did it. And if he didn't have some, you know, desire to monopolize jujitsu and things like that, that could very well be true. But in terms of, in terms of like, well, I'll just go back to like rolling with Pat back in the day or rolling with Henry, even these days, um, they're not doing anything that I don't know. And they're not doing anything that I probably didn't learn at white belt, maybe blue belt. And that it's not, it's not about, Oh man, I've never seen that. You tricked me. It's like, no, they're like, I don't, I hadn't been Americana in a decade or maybe more, maybe 15 years since I had been Americana and Henry will Americana me three times in, in five minutes. And I'm just like, you know, that's what Horian was aiming at, right? Like you don't need, if, if everything else is dialed in, you don't need much more than, you know, straight arm lock Americana, Rear naked choke, guillotine. It's like that's all those guys do, but but you can't stop it, you know. Right. And is I, it because I of timing? Pressure right, go with ahead, Henry. Josh. Pressure with, with Henry? Henry. It's pressure of timing is important always because yeah, if you you can't miss the opportunity. But what exposes me with Henry is always pressure. With Pat, Pat doesn't have Henry's pressure. Pat's more like um. Pat had 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 a. Uh, smoother game where like he just wouldn't let you be where you wanted to be or, or do what you want to do with, with kind of, um, and, and I think it's, it's backward. Like Pat, Pat himself, I think did a lot of Chinese martial arts, a lot of Kung Fu. And he had that kind of very soft, uh, style. So I, I, I they're different. Pat was always digging something and you knew yeah. it and you had to address it. And in addressing it, you open yourself up for something else. That was yeah. always my feel with him that I, that I tried to take, you know, like I, I could never do that. I, and it kills me because I'd make fun of him for doing <laughs> Chinese push hands. You know, I'm like, well, you're doing this. And then one day I'm, he's like doing Ooh. pummeling in. I, I'm like, how come I can never pummel? And he's like the Chinese push hand stuff. And I'm like, Oh, Shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> to, this, to this day, I you know the importance that I drive with my guys about gripping and and the, being really competitive about putting your hands on someone else and establishing grips. That all comes from Pat. And I always say, I always tell my guys that you know Pat never beats you with anything that a blue belt doesn't know. Yeah, and it dry you know like you you talked about Hiron Henner and I you know like like a lot of jujitsu guys I was skeptical about kind of Horian's kind of lineage and his kids because all, all the crap that goes around and like, you know, you I mean stories happen and if you don't know the truth, then you just, all stories is all you have. Right. Yeah. And then I saw Huron fight, uh, Galval 
you know, if you go by, you know, traditional jujitsu rules, yeah, he got crushed. Like there, like I was uh, like a million to nothing, but how easily he was able to evade being submitted and being in really bad spots. I was like, well, at the time, Gavao was probably the best in the world as far as IBJJF is concerned. And Hiram was able so easily just, I'm going to replace guard calmly. You know what I mean? I'll replace guard. And I felt like as the match went on, the better he did with, again, I never saw Hiram do anything that we weren't taught as white belts or blue belts. He just was so proficient in the way that he demonstrated his jujitsu. I remember walking away from that match being like, these guys are pretty legit. And I got to tell you, John, like, you know, you're constant, like saying, Hey, I, you know, I've been to these guys Academy, like they're, they're really legit. And now I kind of pay really close attention to what they're doing. And the quality of the jujitsu is super, super high. And it's kind of an element of jujitsu that I think a lot of sports schools have forgotten. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I, I'll, I'll do you one better. I, I can say with like, it's, it's counterfactual. It didn't happen, but I'm 99.9% certain if it was just, we're going to go till someone quits or taps, Hiron would have tapped him. Galvao was tired. He was running from him by the end. Hiron was getting better. I mean, honestly, if it was no points submission and this can take three hours, like back in the day, yeah. I think, I think, and that was 20 minutes. It's not hard to play that film out to 30 and 40 minutes, you know? Right. Because Galvao had all his shots and it couldn't, couldn't make anything work. And he was just getting started. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, was, it was super cool to watch. He was smiling. Like, oh, dude. minutes in, you could tell Galvao was sweating and he was tired and he was try, like, tired of trying to, you know, he, he's accustomed to a 10-minute match. You know what I mean? And, me- and mentally kind of broken, too. You know, yeah. the, how frustrated he was in the interview, right? And, and once he was in his head like that and he's getting tired, I think he would have caught him. Right. But be- I mean, a beautiful demonstration of jujitsu, in my opinion. Yeah. So if you're to fast forward a little bit, um, everyone's training together in the downstairs. I'm tr- I was trying to piece together kind of the years and stuff. So um, there's a bunch of jujitsu tournaments. And then the next thing I think of with you is um, you have that fight with Nuri. Um, but I think a lot bef- like maybe before that was, um, and I talked about this a little bit in the, with that last one was um, the MMA team starting up at Boston BJJ and like Pat running the ground stuff, you teaching the striking. Yeah, uh, that was super fun. And that was, a, I, that was, I was saying this in the last one, like that was an amazing time. Like um, you had that base in Muay Thai before. I mean, I, we all had done a little bit of karate or something, but here's John kicking everyone's legs out, punch him in the face and like, and he's good at jujitsu and John's good wrestling for, especially for when we were training back then. Um, I don't know. You want to talk about that a little bit? Like as we started the MMA. Well, yeah. Then. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's funny. Like when, I, when I started jujitsu, that's all I thought it was right. Uh, the only jujitsu I'd ever seen yeah. was UFC. So like that's jujitsu. And I remember at Hickson's, like I had been training two, three months and then never put on a gi. And then Louis, probably because I started in the summer and then Luis is like, Oh man, you're, you're going to have to get a gi. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll get a gi. I mean, Hickson was, I, it, cause I, I had finished school in Korea, moved back to America. That would have been like June. And then I probably stayed with my family in Santa Cruz for like a couple, a week or two just to say hi to everyone. And I'm like, but I'm going to LA and I packed up and I was probably in LA by whenever late June. And yeah, it was like, 
we we were all no gi uh until around september and then also like i remember posture from the guard like i'm in the gu- i'm in your closed guard and the way they taught posture it was like um it's exactly all the mechanics were the same but now people will say like look if you're here it's like they can't arm bar you and they can't choke you and then it was like look i can't punch you in the face i mean that was like how people were teaching Luis is like if you're in proper posture, like, and I'm trying to reach your face, I shouldn't be able to reach your face with a punch. I'm like, okay. So that was just what jujitsu was for me. Um, and so, you know, get to Boston and there was a little less of that, but, but not much. So even before we started the, that team, I mean, Roberto, I still remember he'd put boxing gloves on one person and say, you know, try to, you know, try to, you can't do jujitsu, but you can try to, punch this guy in the face and then it's like the other person it's like you can't punch him back but you have to clinch and take him down and we do rounds of that right and then we'd have the battle royals where there was no punching but it was like could be three on one and you know just you had to you had to deal with whatever happened and so that was jujitsu was you know i didn't know there was such thing as a jujitsu tournament the first year i trained basically no one talked about it at Hickson's. The only thing they talked about was him getting ready to fight Valley Tudo in Japan. Nobody was doing tournaments. And there, and there, and there might, may have only been like one or two a year, right? I mean, Joe Morera had something, and maybe the Machados did something. I don't know. But there was no IBJJF, and there was no tournament scene at all. So, you know, it's why I started in the first place, and I had already done a lot of other stuff. And so, you know, when Roberto was had a bigger space and – no classes on Fridays, you know, that was just his schedule. So I think, you know, Pat and I just asked, well, can we just open a, open a, you know, like a MMA class on Friday? And Roberto's like, yeah, of course, there's, there's nothing else going on. And so it was, it was pretty natural. And, and of course we were already doing that privately in the back room, not, not as a class, but now it was like, okay, this is, this is for people who, who want to do this. And they knew, that, you know, don't bring your gi, you know, you have, and, and you need a cup and a mouthpiece. And we probably, like everybody, we probably went a little too hard. Um, like if I had it to do over again, it, I, we'd, I think we'd be a lot more scientific about it. But um, I would say it's better to be perfect. But if you're going to be imperfect, I, I would rather err on our, on the side that we went to intensity than err on the side of like, oh no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Because at that point, it's a voluntary class. People are there for a reason. And, you know, if the training's a little bit rough, I think that's okay. I don't remember anyone really getting seriously injured either. No. There was a guy There was a guy in one of those classes. I don't know if you remember this guy at all. He, I, I, I'm not sure. He might have gotten a blue belt at some point. He's about 250 pounds. His name is Sasha. And Sasha, like, one... He came out of team... He was um, from... The team elite guys. Yeah. And Sasha was like, like, you know, John had had tapped him a a number of times. Like, yeah, like, well, why don't we go strikes? Why don't we go strikes? Like, and you could like, Sasha was a little amped up about it. John, it was like someone asked John to play chess. He was like, yeah, all right, we can do We can, we can do that. We can do that. And they put the gloves on and John like never heard him. Just put him in a bunch of positions and was kind of like, you know, slapping him in the head and like, you know, kind of like little, never, never hurt him at all. But I was like, as a white belt, I'm sitting on the side of the mat and watching this. I'm like, holy shit, 
holy shit, they're hitting each other. They're hitting each other. And <laughs> John, I don't know what you weighed at the time. Maybe like, you know, between 170 and 180 pounds would be my guess at the time. And here's Sasha, like 250. And John is just dominating this guy. And like eventually, because you wouldn't submit him. I remember that. Like you were gonna, you were determined to make this round last as long as you wanted it to last. And eventually Sasha was like, all right, I'm just done. I'm just like, couldn't move anymore. Flat on his back, like huffing and puffing. And I think about that. I was thinking about the, like that time, like, cause at the time I, I knew nothing about jujitsu. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a new guy. Like I'm, I'm as green as they, they, they get. But I do remember those times in that downstairs academy being pretty intense with, with training as for like jujitsu and MMA. But the jujitsu, like it wasn't, you know, it's, it's such a contrast to what you see in academies nowadays. People want to build their academy and have a million members, right? I don't think Roberto cared about that. I think he, what he wanted was hard training and he wanted good people. And it made that he, pretty tough. And you were at the forefront of that, right? He certainly, yeah. I mean, he always kept, I think, at least when I was there, it may have gone back and forth. He always kept a day job, right? Um he was always doing building and things like that. And that could have been part of it, not wanting to be completely financially dependent on that and having to lower his standards or accept people that, you know, he didn't want in the Academy. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I mean, those, those things, you know, they, they happen less now. Right. But they still happen. It's like that, that's, that's really what attracted to me to jujitsu is like that, that that's possible. I don't, I don't think that's quite as possible if, if, you know, you just have two guys swinging at each other. Right. Um, it, I mean, it's not impossible, but, but it's, 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 it's much more likely that one person who's big and strong will get lucky, even if, even if he has no technique and, it, or on the other end, it's much more likely that in order to control him, the, the, the smaller, better person will actually have to hurt him and injure him, right? Yeah, break his nose or something. <laughs> right. I, you know, it, it, the, it's interesting when, you know, I think about kind of a, the, all, all of our different reasons for kind of getting into this thing. And um, my, like, circle I kind of think of, like, you know, like, like the cloud of, of John Frankel is, like, it's pretty complex, right? So you have a lot of interests, right? You speak multiple languages. Uh, you went to Harvard. Um, you're a blacksmith. You make soju at home. Big into leather work these days, jujitsu, MMA, all of those pieces. Like, was, was jujitsu a part of kind of like a, the concept of kind of where you, where you wanted to take your life or did you just kind of happen upon it? And now when you look back on it, is it, is it, does it fit in with these all of these other things or is it mutually exclusive? So, yeah. Um, martial arts, like I said, I was kind of attracted since I was young and uh, the more opportunities I had, the more I kind of expanded what I was doing. Um, I, th I, I mean, the straight answer to that is, and I've thought about this a lot lately, I'm pretty sure. And I told my daughter this cause she's going off to college next year. Um, I'm pretty sure I have some form of ADHD, honestly. And like, I was always like acting up when I was in third grade and, you know, my parents were getting called and everything. just too much energy. And, and, and it's like, that's a really bad thing when you're 10 years old or even in high school, 
um, because you're supposed to focus on everything, even the 80% of it that you don't like and aren't interested in. It's very hard. Now, fast forward that to, you know, college and you can work on the things that you want to work on a little bit more. And then, you know, and then your life in general, I think, um, I still have it, but I'm, I mean, a kind of energy, but since I'm only compelled to do what I want to do, it, it's, it's a positive, right? So like I do, I do wind up doing a lot of things. I don't have a plan to do them. I don't think I need to do them. Like, it's not like, Oh, Jay won't think I'm a Renaissance man. If I quit brewing or something, <laughs> I got to like juggle all these things to, to keep my image. No, like, Leather is the most recent. It was just like, man, I'm interested in that. Let's give it a try. And if it was boring, I would have quit, right? I, no one's making me do it. I, you know, it's costing me time and energy and money. It's not like a, it's not my job. Uh, I just like it. And so I keep doing it. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I, I, I think I have a lot of energy. And when I can channel it to where I want it to be, like I want to do jiu-jitsu. And like right now with lockdown, um, jiu-jitsu is kind of, on the back burner. So I wind up doing more uh, yoga and kettlebells and things like that. Things that I feel like relate to jujitsu and will mm -hmm. keep me, keep me on track for when I, for when I go back. And I, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I wind up doing a lot of things, but I don't have a plan and I don't have a philosophy that says I'd be a loser if I only did one thing. It's just, I'm doing exactly what I want and exactly how much of it that I want, if that makes sense. It, it, it does to me like a, like a hundred percent. I think at the essence um, of, of every person, you know, there, there's free will here. You don't have to do anything in your life that you don't want to do. Literally, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to when you think about it. Now there's things we should do. You know what I mean? But we don't like, and it seems like, you know, you've crafted your lifestyle around the things that you enjoy and like, you know what I mean? You more deliberately than most, I would say. Yeah. And, and the people who are narrowly focused don't always get it either. Like I'll have people at school and they'll say, Oh, if you, if you would, you know, just dedicate all your time here, you could, you know, be so much more famous at school. And then, you know, maybe some people in jujitsu would think like, oh, if you would just own an academy, you could train all day and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I, but I, and I don't fault those people, but uh, I see a lot of people around me who are super narrowly focused and I, they don't seem that happy to me. So like school is a good one because people say like, oh, Pro Professor X is so wonderful. You're he or he or she, right? has, you know, four books and 38 articles and this prize and that research grant. And like, I'm so jealous. And then I look and it's like, yeah, divorced three times, obese, <laughs> the alcoholic, you know, kids won't talk to him. You know, it's like, that's not a good life. Like it's, it, it's like you sacrifice everything to, to be a star. And then the same thing with martial arts, like in Korea, a lot of guys, come out of judo and wrestling, you know, and I, I know these guys through jujitsu and MMA and stuff. And these guys, like when they were 18 to 25, they're like, you know, gold medal in the Olympics, world championships, this and that. But it's like physically and mentally they're broken. 
like they ha- they have all these injuries and even the ones without a lot of injuries they don't want to ever wrestle again they don't ever want to do judo again they've totally burned out like they they did 70 years of judo in 10 years you know what i mean yeah and they're like i never want to see judo again all i i just think of it as pressure and people beating me into training and and you know getting getting up and work you know taking drugs to train while i had a knee injury and 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 F that and I never want to do it again. So like, I, I also like the balance I have in my life. It's um, you, you hit a, like an awesome point on the concept of like, what is success really? Right. And you look at someone in one aspect and you look it, but if you look a little bit deeper, you can see, you know, a myriad of, of, of mistakes and, you know, lack of attention at some things that really matter. And so what makes me think about it, about that is that like your drive to teach. And I think a lot of people that teach jujitsu do it for a lot of the wrong reasons. It might be, you know, notoriety or money. Um, and you know, the, the, the essence of think, I, I think of why you want to train is kind of, yeah, it's like, it seems like self self evolution for your own jujitsu, but what, what drives you to teach? Cause Obviously, you you didn't like the idea of owning the academy, but you spent a lot of time doing jujitsu. Still, you spent yeah. a lot of time teaching. Like, what's your drive? I love jujitsu. I love it more now than I did ever. That I have ever. I mean, it gets better every day. I get better every day. It's a weird thing. I was I was watching a Hito and Gracie interview yesterday, two days ago, um, and he said something that I've been saying a long time. He, he's like, he knows he's like way better than he was five years ago or 10 years ago. And then he stopped because I always do the same thing. He stopped and he's like, I'm not saying that like I could, I could run faster than my 10 year younger self or <laughs> bench press more like physically there's, yeah, I mean, physically we're not getting stronger once we hit a certain point and we're not getting faster once we hit a certain point. But like, I have zero doubt that I would, um, I would beat, not easily, but not with that much difficulty myself of 10 years ago in jujitsu, even though I know that, you know, in other numbers, myself of 10, just 10 years ago would be like better endurance or, or a little bit stronger or whatever. And that keeps me going, you know, that, that jujitsu is so deep and so technical that I, I don't, you know, there's going to be a point. I'm not saying this is going to happen when I'm 85 years old, but um, I'll be 53 in a couple of weeks. And I, I don't see that end point yet. Right. It, it doesn't feel like it's, Oh, it's, it's going to happen next year. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, it, it feels, I feel like this is going to go for a while and that's super awesome. It just motivates me. How right. is, uh, how is how you train? How has, how you train changed? Like as you get older. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost, I look like I'm taking a nap most of the time now. Like, oh, well, you, are you talking about like training, for jiu-jitsu or like rolling both um like, you know how do how do you do you roll with everybody do you yes do you, no matter size weight um, yes do you have a different plan you know then is your game plan in a roll differently than how it used to be yeah um, yeah now now i have i'll have macro goals like for my jujitsu over the next six months, what I want my jujitsu to do, but I have no micro goals in a role. Like I don't go into a role needing to sweep someone, needing to submit someone, needing someone not to pass my guard. It's like 
everything is jujitsu. So most often I just let people pass my guard starting like side control bottom. If they want to mount, I start and mount bottom and just get super comfortable in all positions. Cause it's all, it's all jujitsu. But I, then I was just going to say, I am right. When he asked you, what is your jujitsu? Like I can picture you sitting down, closing your eyes, letting the person get to side control or mount. This is exactly yeah. what I'm thinking with John. And the person's like going, what does he do? And then it's good. Just wherever you want to get. Then they start going, <laughs> and then John starts going. That's, that's what it wrong. is. Because otherwise, you know, I don't want to sit there and like grip fight for three minutes of a five minute round. Like you can't grab my collar or, you know, or just hold closed guard for seven minutes or something. It's like, you know, um, I feel like if I can hold closed guard and break someone down three times in a row, just like slaughter their posture, then I just open my guard. Right. Cause I could, if I can do it three times, I can probably do it 300 times. And then I'm not benefiting. They're certainly not benefiting. Um, or if I can be like, okay, you can't pass my guard for 30 seconds, then you probably can't pass my guard. Right. Um, so then it's like, let's, let's work from side control. I just kind of let, let things, I want, I want as much exposure to every position that could happen in a fight as possible. Not like, Oh, I need to, just mount and like put my chest in their face for five minutes, which I would do in a fight, by the way, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, we're training, right? So you know, I want everything to happen. You know, I want to, I want exposure to everything. And I, you know, yeah. And I, and I also want to disadvantage myself. Now there's, there are guys um, who are active competitors, right? Um, and I don't give them anything. They, because they don't need me to give them anything. We just, we just roll and, and, uh, I try not, I try not to tap, you know, to those guys they are like really good, you know, guys are winning IBJJF championships. Um, so it also, it, it depends a little bit on the person, uh, in front of me. I, I think that it's, it's really interesting the concept of how your ego changes as you get more experienced in what we're doing. Um, you know, I, 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 I think there's a real art to, letting one of your students submit you and not letting them feel like you gave it to them, right? Like you worked and like, you know what I mean? And, and to your point, you know, with, with a lot of competitors and things like that, you know, the, the, the training as we get older changes and I'm really interested in your perspective. You know, you're in great shape. You're 50 plus, you know, there's no sign of you slowing down with your training. Like I've, tried to compete a lot in the last couple of years. And my body is like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, a, a close friend of ours, um, you know, told me, he's like, Hey, like there's a point where I couldn't tie my shoes. You know what I mean? I couldn't open doors. I couldn't like, I was training so hard for competitions that, you know, my body was just getting wrecked. And I'm like, I don't see myself on the mat at 75 behaving this way. And this is like a, like a balance that I'm really struggling with recently is that um, I I'm like you, I believe my jujitsu is better than it's ever been. And I'm like, I really like the competing, but training for it is, is brutal. And I want to be on the mat when I'm 75. Like, are you working with your students and with people that, you know, like the community, me, Nate, you know, George, like how, how do you guide people through that process. Cause I, yeah, like, you, honestly, I feel more lost now with that balance than maybe I ever have. Okay. So I, I can't force anyone to do anything. My, my best guy in terms of IBJJF and Abu Dhabi medals, um, 
is one of my most broken physically. He's still under 30. Um, he, he has, he does barambola all the time. So he's got like lower back and neck issues, the impingement on his nerves. He's, he's like really fit, but you can see on the left side, his pec and his arm are smaller, like visually, you know, not a doctor's examination, like, Oh, it's 2% smaller. Just, he takes off his shirt and with the naked eye, you're like, Oh, it's like 15% smaller. Cause you know, the, the nerves aren't getting to those muscles. I mean, and I've been telling him forever, uh, what he needs to do, but that's all I can do. I mean, I'm not his, not his father or anything. And even if I were, I couldn't make him do it, but you know, I, I, I give people my philosophy and you know, I, I, that's as far as I can go. You know, I can't really force them to, to act on it. So and, what you is know, your philosophy? Jiu-jitsu is a martial art of self-defense and you know, it, what good does it do you if, if you can beat up all these other people, but you're the one hurting yourself. Like he doesn't need anyone to mug him, right? He doesn't need someone to break his arm. He's, he's hurting his own arm. He's hurting his own neck. He's hurting his own back. He's ruining his own life. So that's not self-defense. And, and what happens in jujitsu these days, there's a bait and switch. It's like, Oh, this is the best art for self-defense, which I believe is true. And then you get there and it's like, let me show you the Barambolo and go fight in a bunch of tournaments which has nothing to do with that. Right. And so there's like a, there's a switch like that. The tournaments are fine for, for the people who want to do them, but you know, only in so much as there is an expression of jujitsu as a martial art or self-defense, but that's not the way it is anymore. It's that you're, you're actually, you're the one attacking and, and injuring yourself in order to fight in these tournaments, which are completely artificial. It's, and then and another thing is if, if I had a student who was a, a NFL football player or, or a heavyweight boxer or something, and he's like, coach, I know philosophically you're right, but I'm going to take steroids and mess up my shoulders and my knees. And they're going to pay me $250 million. I'd be like, well, yeah, that's kind of a rational choice. Like, I'm not, I might do it for $250 million, you know, in jujitsu, you get a free fucking gi, you know, they don't even pay. They don't even, they don't even give you money. They don't even give you a plane ticket. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, maybe you'll, you'll your seminar enrollment will increase a little bit or something. It's ridiculous to, to, you know, ruin your body, like to, to actually injure yourself for the art of not letting other people injure you, you know, for, for nothing. It's uh, I, I, I think you put a post on the, on the, uh, might've been on the underground or might've been the, the boss. Like, and I did this just popped into my head and it's really old. You were talking about like things you can do to make yourself more healthy. And you know, a lot of them were like stretch, drink water. Like, Hey, you want to be like, you want to look big, like stretch, stretching makes your muscles like, you know, more limber. They look bigger, hydrate yourself. Your muscles will look bigger. If that's what you're after, like, do this shit. It will. And I noticed now your approach to like strength and conditioning, you're doing a lot of yoga. You're doing some really like great stuff with functional strength and conditioning. There's a lot of opinions out there on this stuff. Like, what is your take now on that? Cause I, like, obviously you want to, like, I can tell that you're trying to protect your body while you're training to make sure you stay healthy. Um, what, what is, what, like, what's your reasoning for kind of like really concentrating on those efforts now? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I, 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 when I win or lose in jujitsu, I've never once like, you know, way, you know, 20 something years ago, you know, 
first time with Pat, just like, oh my God, or these days with Henry, it's like, it, I never, ever feel win, lose, or draw that it's ever been down to strength. Like, oh, Pat's so strong, or I need, if I could bench more, I would have beat Henry or something. No, it's always technique. So I'm not trying to get stronger because I think that's like the key to jujitsu. I think um, my, my, whenever I'm doing any kind of strength and conditioning, it's like injury prevention. Mobility is really huge, like expanding or at least maintaining mobility, um, you know, especially end range mobility. Cause that's like, if you're getting arm bar or, you know, straight or American or Kimura, you're talking about end range mobility, right? When, when, when the joint and or muscles and or tendons kind of fail on you. And so like a lot of it's that for me. Right. And I think, you know, flexibility to me is kind of like strength. I don't feel like I'm getting super flexible. I think like, you know, like I could do all the steroids in the world. I'm not going to look like Arnold, right? He, he already had different genetics than I had and I could try to do the splits forever and I'd probably gain a few inches or, or, or so, but I wouldn't look like some gymnast who can go to 195 degrees or something. And so it's not really strength and flexibility, which I think they increase, but I think they increase very slowly and you're kind of genetically limited. It's for me, I think it's like mobility and, and injury prevention and, and, and things like that. And then, you know, just maintenance of whatever muscle mass I have, not trying to become a bodybuilder, but you know, just, just maintaining the muscle mass. I think that that's like a big part of um, just healthy aging in general, you know, generically, but also the ability to just keep, keep doing jujitsu, which is really what I care about. Did you, when you were at Hickson's was Elio around? No, he, you know, he, first of all, he would go back and forth between Brazil and America. And secondly, after Hickson split, um, Elio was mainly with Horian at the, at the first Academy and Hickson was kind of out on his own. So as, as a historian, do you, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Nate. I was going to say, if we were to fast forward a little bit, like I, I remember, I mean, I think that I always think back of that fight. So just to say that fight that you have in Nuri was supposed to be with, um, Oh, Mario. Mario. From the Dragon Slayer or whatever. Yeah. Feud between Boston BJJ and the Dragon Slayer. And um, the fight got thrown up that Mario Ramos, the head of Dragon Slayer, wanted to fight someone. I just remember John goes, I'll do it. Like, just <laughs> like, you know, hey, want to go play catch? Hey, you want to fight the head of the school where feud? I'll do it. And then I remember he had heard about that John wasn't just a jiu-jitsu guy, that he had really good strike and a really good wrestling. And he pulled out. And of course, you know, Nuri, who takes every fight everywhere, takes the fight and, um, you know, became a good training partner of ours in the future. But that was a great moment, too, you know. Yeah, no, I thought about, I think about Nuri from time to time because, you know, there were like two days. There was no bad blood leading up to it. And there were like two days of bad blood after it. And then, yeah, I was happy to train with him at Team Elite. And he's a cool guy. And it was more, you know, we're just in there competing we have no control it was it was actually you know the promoter and the ref um that i was angry at but that gets projected onto the person you fought but it didn't take me like two days to realize like oh wait no he's just in my position like mm. he's not looking at the ref and saying ref you need to do this right uh 
Nuri was, was perfectly willing to let whatever happened happen. And if the ref says stand up, we stand up. Right. So, yeah, no, that was, that was good. And like I said, for me, that was, that was jujitsu, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, I wasn't interested in a career like Kenny, I, you know, I was already married and everything. Um, but, but that, that was as, natural to me as a gi tournament neither of them are like what we're doing exactly what we're doing in training right training is a little more pure and those are two kind of specialized versions of you know the smaller and more specialized versions of pure jiu-jitsu which which has everything uh as far as i'm concerned but then in one it's like okay you can't grab any clothing and you can punch each other. And another one, it's like you can grab all the clothing, but you can't punch each other. And they're kind of extreme versions of what we're doing every day in jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. So was 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 your interest to kind of expand on that a little bit? And I get, maybe I'm just confirming your point, but uh, so MMA wasn't necessarily like, hey, I want to go fight. Was it more like I want to test my jiu-jitsu? Yeah, that's all it was. And, and also I knew the younger guy at that point – I thought there was a good chance I'd have some kind of school at some point. I, you know, and I went through a few different evolutions of, of where I am as a coach. And it's like, um, I knew younger guys might want to fight. Right. And so just to have, I needed a little bit of experience just, just to be credible as a coach. It was, it's super interesting. Like thinking back on that, I see Nuri around, you know, here and there, um, chat with him still fighting again. What a nice, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Guy. I, I coached no, he, the guys yeah. down not that long ago. And I yeah. look over and Nuri's on the card. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. He's like the George Foreman of jujitsu yeah, and MMA. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but more power to him. It means like, he's also not worried about like padding his record. He just wants to go he's out there and get after it. Yeah. It's yeah. all good. No, he's a cool guy. I so respect that. So I don't want to do it, but so but. Nate mentioned to me earlier that he uh, he still uses some of the drills that he learned from you at, at the uh, original day class. Nate, what drills are those? You remember what we'd start class with when you talk? So John, so I still remember. Like it's funny, John's talking about these conversations to start these classes, and like there was no day class originally. There was no MMA on Friday originally, and so like when they talked to Roberto, and they're like, "Yeah, we have." MMA on Fridays. I'm like, I'm in like day one. This is awesome. Thanks. John wanted to start teaching day classes. And uh, so I remember I, I had my car that didn't have a muffler and I, <laughs> Kenny and I were working in, uh, in downtown Boston and we'd leave for lunch and we'd drive down to Harvard and pick up John and go in and uh, I'd rev my, my Toyota, some Toyota they don't even make anymore. Prelude no muffler and uh, scare everybody. John would be sunbathing right in Harvard Square, sitting on a bench like this, right? <laughs> We'd go in and it was the best. That day class was awesome. And um, I remember for you, you have this whole sit through drill that you'd start with us. Like when you're on the bottom, someone sprawled out on you. And uh, I still go through that all wow. the time. Like I love that as a, as a warm up drill. Awesome. Yeah, no, Roberto was like i said he had a day job and so it, the school was empty and i'm like i want to train more you know and it was that might have been the real that might have been the first i mean because when i was 
younger and doing traditional martial arts, I hated training in the morning because I was stiff and you know, you're always trying to do the splits and kick people in the head and everything. And I thought like, man, by the afternoon and the evening, I've been walking around all day and I'm all loose and I feel great. And these days, man, I, I you know, I don't want to train at night because I'm tired and when I come home adrenalized and then I can't sleep. So like my, my ideal now is the opposite. Like the earlier I can train, the better. Maybe, maybe those day classes were the beginning of that. So I figured like, man, I got my training in. I can use that adrenaline to fuel me all day rather than to keep me up at night. Um, if, if someone, you know, work ends and someone says, you want to have a beer? I could say yes. Instead of no, no, I gotta go train. So yeah, no, these days, these days I would say that like, 80% of my training uh, is as early as I can make it. It's funny you mentioned that, you know, so many of us, I know Nate and George and, you know, we're teaching jujitsu classes late at night these days. And it's so, hard, man. Yeah. I get home at like 10 o'clock at night. I eat real quick and I go to sleep and sometimes I, you know, I don't sleep well because of it. As I get older, I realize like those, those changes in my body kind of really affect me over a long period of time. And it's weird, like, you know, the 6 a.m. class on Monday mornings, I hate waking up, but those are probably my best days. Like, Monday is, like, my favorite day because I am energized throughout the day. Like, you know, I trained for an hour and a half or two hours, sat in the sauna for a little bit. You know what I mean? As opposed Sounds to, ideal. What the hell happened last night? Like, oh, God, like, right. falling out of bed, you know what I mean? So your so your training is more in the morning these days. Yeah, I mean I can control it. Uh, you know, if teaching, if someone asks me to come in and teach, that'll be at night sometimes. But if I'm if I'm scheduling my own training, like kettlebells, yoga, jujitsu, I'm always trying to do. Uh, like, it a lot of times it's limited because some some places don't have early classes. So like, my my strength and conditioning guy. The, the earliest he has is 10 a.m. So like I go in Tuesday, Thursdays at 10 a.m., but I would be happier if it were earlier. And then uh, yoga is 7 a.m. That's awesome. You know, there's no traffic. Because if, if I leave my house at, say, like 6 um, or, or 6.15, like there's no traffic. And Seoul is not a huge city, but it's huge in terms of population. So like geographically, it's not that spread out, but you have like 12 million people. So you can imagine what rush hour looks like but you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm leaving early, it's like the streets are empty. I get there. It's awesome. I'm, you know, I'm done at eight, eight AM. Yeah. And then jujitsu, most places, uh, either have a 11 or a noon class that I can hit. So it's, it's nice. And then I, you know, I go same thing, sauna, lunch, got, have the rest of my day. Also, because my daughter's still at home, you know, I've been, I've been able to, you know, have dinner with the family and, be at home at night more and stuff, which is good. It's a, it's a big one too. Like yeah, you're yeah, able to spend yeah. some time with the family, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, all of us kind of can really can relate to. If you if there wasn't like quarantine, how much would you be training right now? Like how many days a week do you normally train now? It's it's a, it's funny because I've noticed like psychologically it's really important because when you're when you can like I can train unlimited, right? Uh and so when I choose not to it's like oh, i'm gonna rest today so it's like i'm choosing not to but when someone forces you not to it makes you crazy right if i'm like i don't want to train today that's good but if someone says you can't train today like, like the psychology of it is totally different 
So now I feel like I want to train like twice a day, seven days a week, but that'll, that once I can do that again, it'll, I'll find my balance. I would say it, it, it depends on, um, my family schedule, my work schedule, and because this isn't my day job. So like if there's a lot of busyness at work, I, that's how I pay my rent and feed my family. So that first, but I would say the, it would average out on any given week, probably four times a week. Yeah. And like, if I have a lot of free time, I'll be in six. And if I'm busy, I'll be in two, but I would say the average is probably four training sessions a week or so. Um, pure, pure jujitsu. Can I ask you, and I, we always say that this, this podcast is unedited. And if you want to even strike this question, we can strike the question. It will never have occurred at all. But uh, you had an online confrontation at one point with another guy that was teaching jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mickey. Oh, I love talking about this. So do you want to tell the Mickey Choi story? Oh, yeah. It's so easy. So he, um, chronologically, I just, I go into my own academy and he's there with a white belt on. And, uh, you know, the, the, the instructor who, who runs the day-to-day operations at the academy, who I've since gotten rid of. I got rid of him at brown belt, didn't give him a black belt, and I'm very happy I did that. And this is just one of the things that – this is not major, but, you know, evidently he had been in there a few times and already acting crazy, and the guy doesn't give me a heads up at all. And this just, is like 05? I forget. Yeah, you, you could go back and check. Somewhere but like anyway, that. anyway, yeah. So my the guy who's running the academy doesn't give me a heads up. This guy's kind of kooky. Uh, just has me roll with him and he's you know he's so bad it's like he's not a white you know you can tell he's he's faking it but he's not really a good blue belt either he's like in some weird no man's land (laughs) but he's but i'm but i'm getting head butted and elbowed and not on purpose right it's not that he thinks we're doing valley tudo it's that he's a spat and so, like, you know, I take his back, and he's trying to escape, and he headbutts me, and, like, I'm on his side, and he's trying to escape, and he elbows me and stuff. And so I'm, I just, like, slow it down. I'm like, dude, you're, you're hitting me. And he's, oh, you know. And it happens a couple more times, and I smack him in the head, and I said, you're hitting me. You know, so that, that you know, and, and of course, you know, that, that's a, the time I rolled with him. And then he disappears resurfaces only weeks later with a black belt on opening his own academy saying that he's a black belt world champion so now i'm like kind of interested but not angry at him or anything just like wow this guy's obviously crazier than i thought i could tell he was a little bit crazy and i'm like whatever like jujitsu jujitsu is already too big in korea you know there's a lot of schools that trace their lineage back to me but there's a lot that don't now right they they don't want to do the hard training. They, they go for six months to Brazil and, you know, get a, get a blue belt and pay some famous guy a bunch of money to come out every year and they get a new belt and whatever. Like I'm not trying to control jujitsu in Korea. And like I said, there's all kinds of routes to getting your belt. And I'm like, okay, so this guy is a black belt. It's weird that he came in with a white belt and lied about it, but whatever. But then I get contacted by this Machado affiliate in Utah. I guess he was in Utah, this kid. He's a Korean slash Korean American. He's mostly Korean, but he had lived in America. And they're like, oh, I heard something about 
you and Mickey Che? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, he, he came to the school with this belt and then now he's a black belt world champion. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, he was at our school in, in Utah and we begrudgingly gave him a purple belt, which we regretted. But then all of a sudden he showed up to Nogi Worlds and enrolled as a black belt because you're not wearing a belt, right? And this was back before Carlinhos had really locked everything down. So he shows up at Nogi Worlds with a and signs up for black belt and there's no one in his division. And so he gets a gold medal. And so now he's a black belt world champion, even though he's only like a two day old purple belt that was given kind of with regret by, by probably a not very good school out in bumfuck Utah. Right. (laughs) Right. And, and so I'm just laughing at this point. I'm just like, this guy's a total clown. And with the internet, there are no secrets, right? I'm like, he's not going to, his business isn't going to flourish because everyone has the internet and he's obviously a kook and, you know, um, but the Machado guys asked me to kind of write a statement for them because they were going after him in U.S. court for something. And then another guy in Korea went after him. And, and, and I was just like, yeah, I'll help you guys. But he was kind of off my radar. Then he starts coming on the Internet and talk, talking all this shit about how when he trained with me, I did this. And when he trained with me, I did that. And I just said, look, I – I wasn't going to try to tell you you couldn't open a school, but you're you're mentioning me by name and what you're saying is false. I said, um, if you're a black belt world champion, it's like, it's like I'm a 40 something year old part-time jujitsu guy. You're a young black belt world champion. I'm like, let's just see who has real jujitsu. Let's just, let's just have a match. And he's like, okay. Uh, something like, should it be a gi or no gi or, or MMA. And I said, all three, I said five I minutes that. each. I don't care. Yeah, I know. I said all three. And I said, but it has to be, I said, but I, I do care about the order. I said, it has to be gi, then no gi, then MMA. Cause if we do MMA first, you're done for the day. So you're not, <laughs> I, I won't even get the chance to fuck you up with a gi and without a gi. Cause I can just put him to sleep with a gi and then he'll still have to fight me. No gi. And I can put him to sleep again, but then in MMA, I can really fuck him up. <laughs> and then he's like, yes, and then like a week later disappeared off the face of the earth. So it actually worked out well because I would have derived an immense amount of personal satisfaction. Cause I'm even in my fifties, I'm still kind of mean from, from in public on film, just, just beating the shit out of him. But it would have been bad for my reputation because I'm supposed to be a university professor and I'm supposed to, be a gentleman and, and I should have known better. And, you know, he's obviously crazy and well, you know, all the stuff would have been negative. And so it, it actually worked out perfectly. Like anyone with half a brain cell knows why he disappeared. Right. And, and the paper trail is there. So it, you know, it was like the Bruce Lee thing, you know, I got to fight him without fighting him and it, it's the best possible outcome. You know. Right. It's, it's, it's cool because for me, that's kind of like a samurai honor thing. And it, it, it's something that we're, you know, a lot of, of us are, are trying to do is preserve jujitsu, right? Preserve because there's so many academies now and so many people talking shit. And, you know, while the quality of jujitsu is far, far less than what you would be led to believe by looking out there. And you're right. Like nothing again. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, the notoriety was not important to you. You don't care about being famous for jujitsu. 
you kind of are just because of the nature of, of your abilities and your technique and your kind of your approach and your philosophy. But it wasn't like you were seeking notoriety. It wasn't like you, oh, I want the money for whatever or, you know what I mean? It was defending the sanctity of jujitsu kind of in my opinion. It was like, hey, this guy's horseshit and I'm calling you out on it. Yeah, and even, even then, like I said, I don't feel like I'm the sheriff of jiu-jitsu in Korea, but, but then you know, it was like I, I wanted to be, but I didn't feel like it was appropriate. But then he's like on the internet mentioning my academy and me by name and, and lying basically. So, you know, there's always a limit. Right. Hey, so, I was going to say, if you're going to fast forward a little bit again, just like time-wise through Boston, when you got your black belt, and this is something that came up, I can't remember what the order was where where – were you after Pat or was it you? Was it Pat? Doug? No, Pat, then me. It was Pat, then me. You. So Pat, I was, you, then Doug, then Kenny, Keith, or did Probably. Yeah, I was, June, I remember I was June of 2002. And Pat would have been at least a year, year or more before that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, I, and Joe never made it to Brown Belt, I don't think. Maybe he made it to Brown Belt. He quit. He quit. Yeah. And the original Joe, this is another thing about jujitsu. The original Joe who had the karate school, and there were a lot, he wasn't the only one. I remember him because he was like the guy who owned the school. He quit pretty soon after we moved downstairs. And I remember there was an original, I'm sure this happened with Horian and everyone else. There's this original group and the training isn't quite as difficult and the training isn't quite as structured. And they have a high position in the hierarchy just by the privilege of having been there first. Yeah. But then people start showing up who are thrashing them uh, and the training gets more focused and harder and they're losing more than they're winning. And then they quit. There's a lot of people like that. And, and, you know, one, one of the things I, I always try to have like a, when I do my yearly seminars, I try to have like a ph philosophical theme. And a few years ago, um, you know, whenever someone says, how do you get good at jujitsu? How do you get good at jujitsu? You know, for a long time, it was, I was more like Pat, you know, like, yeah, you know, just train and train more. Yeah. But, but which is not wrong, but it doesn't help people who are looking for philosophy either. And I, I came up with something which goes right back to, to the old Boston BJJ and was like, uh, you have to like jujitsu more than you like winning. Right. Cause everyone liking winning is easy, right? Everyone likes to win, but it's like, you have to like jujitsu more. So I would rather lose attempting the technical jujitsu answer than win by bench pressing or running away or spazzing out or whatever cheating. And then over time, you know, counterintuitively that makes you win more because you don't care about it and your, your jujitsu gets better. And these guys didn't like jujitsu enough, basically. Right. They liked the result and they quit. So, yeah, it's, but that, there were a lot of guys who quit, uh, for different reasons, but yeah, uh, it, it would have been, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think maybe Doug, Kenny and Keith were probably a little bit after that. I don't know if there was anyone in between Mike Wenzel had already left yeah. for New York. He graduated. So he, you know, law school's three years. So Mike was there three years. Mike was a force. I mean, I remember him. Uh, he was really good. Cause he was super smart, super technical, but also had the physical hardware, right? It's big guy. And he went up, I think he probably got his Brown belt before he left. Cause he was there a full three years, but even if he was a purple belt, I heard stories. I mean, he went to Henzo's and was wrecking everyone, which is awesome. Cause, cause he's good, you know? And I don't, and I met Mike once in Japan, uh, 
we, I stayed with him in Japan. He was still training in Japan, but I don't know. I don't hear about him and I don't know if he's still training. Yeah. You know, a name that I, that I haven't, I haven't thought of when we think of, uh, you know, he didn't end up getting a black belt from Roberto because he went back to his roots. But, uh, one of the guys that kind of poked in there for a number of years was Tim Burrow. Yeah. Yes. Tim was around uh, for a long time. Yeah. And what, like what I, I see him a lot and, um, like, did you get a chance to train with Tim? I trained with Tim a lot. And then one of the things I got from Tim, he was with Carlos Machado. And um, I didn't really recognize it at the – I recognized it at the time, but I didn't recognize how important it was. Um, Tim's passing at the time is is more like the way I pass now under the influence of Henry. Um, he It was a pressure-style passing. And I didn't recognize because Tim was kind of big. I mean, you know, and I could almost think it was like a style that was good for his body, but maybe not good for me. And I, I felt at that time I had to be more mobile because I was smaller, but it's not true. I mean, what he was doing, I think Carlos probably taught even the lightweights. It was more like you change angles, but you don't retreat. You know, you're always kind of, you have this forward pressure and you're using gravity and body weight. And Tim would use gravity and body weight. And the fact that he was technical and big made it, particularly effective for him, but I think it's effective for everybody. And I noticed really early, like he wouldn't, we were at Boston. I think a lot of us would come in. If we get blocked, we kind of back out and Toriando or, you know, back out and leg drag. And he was kind of, it's like, I'll change my angle, but I won't back out. Right. I'll just keep shifting and moving forward. And that, that's what I remember about his style being super effective. And then something that I do more of now. It's funny you mentioned it, uh, like, and, and you alluded to it just a minute ago when you were talking about um, the difference between winning and, and kind of learning in jiu-jitsu. Um, I, I like going back to competition just for a second because there's a lot of competitors out there. A lot of people that listen to the podcast are competitors. Um, I know that when I'm training for a competition, like, I, the, the focus is winning, right? Like, my, I, I use 10% of my jiu-jitsu, right? Like, the, the best 10%, like, my go-to right. options. Um, is that a like a retardation of your evolution of jujitsu? Because if you compete, if you're a constant competitor and you're like, I want to compete white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, like you're, are you limiting your, the, the, the potential evolution of kind of in the completeness? I think, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. What I, I mean, I don't, I guess my, my answer isn't if someone competes every weekend, they couldn't do what I recommend. But what I recommend to my guys who fight is, is exactly what you're saying. Like in a, in a jujitsu tournament, your job is, is to kind of unilaterally force your a game down your partner's throat or your opponent's throat, like give them nothing, take everything. Don't, don't do anything you're not comfortable with. Right. But if you, but then if you go back to the Academy and you train that way, like here's your a game, right? Your a game is this big. That's what you do in a tournament. But if you do that in the Academy, it just stays here. It gets a little bit stronger. But if you go back to the academy and you train your B game and your C game and, and don't work your A game, what happens is when you go to fight your next tournament, not every week, but let's say it's a few months, then the A game that you have to unilaterally force down someone's throat is this big, right? It's kind of gone out towards your B game. And then you go back to the academy and what the new stuff you're practicing is this bit. And then the next tournament, your A game is this bit. So you, your, your strategy is always the same, which is take your A game and ram it down someone's throat and give them nothing. But in the gym, 
your training in jujitsu is to work on your B game and C game and fold them into your A game so that you have more and more things to smash people with. Does that make sense? It makes, it makes complete sense. Yeah. And so I work on all my weaknesses in the gym and then try to do only what I'm good at in a fight. Imagine like, I, I feel like this is like, uh, you know, a father talking to his son, you know what I mean? Like when he's, when you're 15, you won't listen to anything anybody's telling you. Right. You're talking about, I'm winning every tournament I compete in. And it's like, nobody cares who the white belt world champion is. Like nobody cares. Like be like, you know, develop your jujitsu. And it's, it's, it's very hard to tell young people to do that, to, to, to set their ego aside. And, and we all, it's like, it's, it's the biggest cliche in jujitsu, right? Like check your ego at the door, but not a lot of people really do it. And it's hard to do. And as like we've trained more, it becomes a little bit easier. You're like, you know, you start the techniques you decide to use, like, like your, your, your tool set, your finishes, like, well, I can, I can now do this. You know what I mean? Which is something that Hickson like prides himself on that, that X choke. Cause you can get anybody with it. Right. Like, I don't care who you are. I'll get you with it. You know what I mean? Not this really crazy, you know, game that like leads to all of the basic positions in reality, but it's so hard to teach young people to, 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 to drill that completeness. Something like maybe I, like I didn't have cause surviving with you animals on the mat was not an easy thing to do. I like, I came up getting the shit kicked out of me by you and Nate and Kenny and Keith and Pat and Pags. You know what I mean? It was about survival, but that, it's fun. It's, it's a fundamental of teaching and like, and it goes beyond what you teach as far as techniques that day. It's like, here's your philosophy for learning. And I think yours is a little bit more directed and a little bit more polished than uh, a lot of schools are teaching. Yeah. You know, the other thing that it's taken a while, but I feel like it is now. Um, but the other, and that doesn't mean everyone listens to me. Like you said, they don't want to hear it. Uh, but the other thing is I, that I think, like when someone says I'm a white belt world champion or blue belt world champion, uh, I think that can be the worst thing for your jiu-jitsu because the kinds of things you can do to win at white and blue belt, you can win at white and blue belt with speed and strength and aggressiveness and power um, instead of instead of good technique. At purple belt, that'll start to even out and at brown belt and especially like by the time you get to brown and black belt, it's like, look, everyone is on steroids. Everyone is young and strong and aggressive and has cardio for days and strength for days. And so it's only going to be your technique that's going to set you apart. And so I think, you know, uh, I used to think jujitsu was awesome because you could, sp it's not like boxing. I mean, you can spar on day one and not get hurt and everything, but these days, again, back back to Hori, and I think he had a lot of really good ideas. I'm like, if I were running a commercial school, um, I would run some version of, you know, some version of a foundations or on-ramp or Gracie combatives program and not have people sparring until they actually, you know, knew kind of what they were doing in each position. Um, and then when they did spar, I'd do a lot more position sparring than free sparring because, you know, you get in a bad position and you bench press someone off you and you know, you pretend it never happened and you, that works at white and a little bit of blue belt. But later that's like, you're just getting arm barred all the time or you're getting injured. I think it, it just builds a lot of really bad habits that, that um, emphasis on results uh, 
versus technique from from early on in jujitsu? You know, I, I think it's kind of a your question, Jay, though. I think it's the beauty of jujitsu is that it's self-correcting. If you just focus right here, you're going to get exposed over here or over here. And your circle has to widen. If you're training with good people, they will expose you. And because I think I've run into this a lot. Should I focus on one thing for the next three months or should I do everything for the next three months? And just, you know, and I don't think there's a right answer. There's a time for both. And, but you know, when someone's beating you with something that you're like, what did they just do to me? Or I know what that is. Why couldn't I stop it? you're going to go work on that area and get better in that spot. So if you go compete and you dominate everyone, great. But when the, you're, as you go up the ranks, like, yeah, as John said, white, blue belt, world champ, you're going to get to brown belt. People are going to be doing things that you have to have addressed those problem areas or you're, you know, you're going to run into the problem no matter what. And the, and the, and the essence of the, uh, the, the topic bringing it up is, because I don't even think it was formally a question. It's kind of like, here's like, what do you think about this? But um you see a lot of people get to blue belt and purple belt level and um, that ego gets in the way. And those are, those are people that end up quitting because they're not winning mm. a win. And that ideology, that philosophy of training is if you, if you can, if we can figure it out how to uh, drive people towards it early they're not going to be concerned with that about, you know, like there's a number of guys at Port City that are like big, strong, powerlifting athletes. Like, yeah, you're not like, you're not going to beat on that guy. You guys started on the same day and you're 125 pounds, you know, but you can't quit. Like you can't measure yourself against the progress of someone else. You measure yourself against the progress of yourself. And that date I've seen a million times, like, you know what I mean? You get the right people together. You know, you like, oh, like I want to, you know, I, like, I want to bring Jimmy in and, and Josh and like, yeah, you're not going to win all the time with, with a group like that. Those are really, really tough people. But what you get from that is the greatest benefit of jujitsu, regardless of winning or not. And I'm trying to think of, you know, John your, and Nate, your perspective on like how you get people to really let go of that because, man, it's just, it's, it's that, yeah. that's the hardest part to teach. So two answers. One, like I said, even my own guys, you know, I, I can only tell them what I think they should do, but some of them don't listen. And if they're not, I mean, if they're only hurting themselves and they're not hurting other people, I don't kick them out of my association or my school. I mean, I just keep telling them like, man, you gotta, you gotta be careful about that. But I think as a coach or as, as an instructor, as a school owner, like the way you design the, the class and the way you design the training, both the way you frame it, like when you explain jujitsu, but also just the actual class can be really important. So one of the things that, that Hickson always did and, you know, Henry continues and SBG does is like they do a lot more positional sparring than they do free sparring. So that takes a lot of the ego out of it. So in other words, if, if you and I just start on our feet and it's like, Nothing matters except who taps. That's a that's a free for all, right? Versus, okay, Jay, you mount John for two minutes, and if you tap him, you know you just start over. And if he puts you in half guard or full guard, or you know upas you off, you start over. So like my ego is not already out of it because like, oh yeah, coach told Jay to mount me. This is a horrible position. Maybe it's just good if I can survive, you know. And then you know, I still want my four points. <laughs> you can have eight uh, but but you know what i mean like takes the ego out of it 
on the so the on the beginning of it, it takes the ego out. Like, well, I'm giving up the one of the worst positions in jiu-jitsu. Let's see if I can just protect my neck and maybe get to half guard. Versus, man, Jay swept me. Then he passed my guard. Then he mounted me. Now I'm tired. Now I'm, my ego's all messed. You know what I mean? It's a different headspace that you're in when you're training. And also, whether you succeed or fail, you get immediately put back in that situation to correct your error. So it's like, oh, yeah, I was like pushing on Jay's chest and he straight arm locked me. That's not going to happen again, right? You go back and I'm like, oh, I can't push on. Like Nate says, jujitsu is self-correcting. So I, my game will be sharpened. Whereas in, a, in free sparring, it's like you sweep me and now like I don't have – I don't even have half, half a second to think about why my base was off. It's like, man, I don't want you to pass my guard. And then you pass my guard and I don't even have a half a second to address the weaknesses in my guard. It's like, Oh, he's in side control. I got to keep him from, you know, Americana me or mounting me. And, you know, and then you mount me and I don't realize why my mount defenses are weak. I'm like, man, he's about to collar choke me. And you know, there's no time to really, and it, it's not a big deal. As you go up, you don't need that time. And thinking about jujitsu is it's important not to think about it. But if you're a white belt or a blue belt, it's super important, I think, to like, go, okay, go back to mount. Quit pushing on his chest. So then you get collar choked and you're like, oh, so now I have to find a happy medium where I'm not extending, but I'm able to defend my neck. And, you know, you, you tap maybe five times in five minutes, but you correct all these mistakes and your ego is not involved. So I think, I think um, the way classes are set up can minimize that, that ego involvement too. Can I ask a, f- a follow-up question on that? I mean, there's yeah. a pretty intimate relationship between uh, positional rolling and drilling, right? Like, it's like, you know, you might do a warm-up and then you teach a couple techniques and then you do drilling and then positional rolling and then rolling. You know what I mean? Like, how do you – this is, might be a really boring – No, no. Listening, but, like, your orchestration of the class, how do like, – Yeah, I think it's partially semantics. Like, some, when some people say drilling, they mean positional rolling. When other people say drilling, it's like Andre Galvao doing 100 leg drags, which I think is bullshit and worthless. That judo style, like I'm going to do 100 entries and then one throw, and then I'm going to do 100 leg drags and then one pass. I mean, some people may learn that way. For me, I think the, the, there's no resistance. There's no timing. The rep quality deteriorates after about five reps. My mind goes numb. I just don't want to do it. So, but, but other people call drilling like, okay, we're not free sparring and our environment is limited and like, okay, like Jay, you're in side control and John, you're on the bottom and you can't go knee on belly and you can't mount. You only have, you can only try to finish with a choker arm bar from side control and John, you know, you can't pull guard and you can't run away. You really just have to stay inside control and defend. I mean, this is blurring the line between drilling and positional sparring. So it's kind of every coach has a different word for it. I only care about you know, going from zero resistance technique to resistance technique, but, but with a limited environment, right? And you call it drilling or positional sparring. I just think that's it's boring. I don't like to do it, but I think it's the most beneficial when I do it. And it's certainly the most beneficial for students in the first few years. That's cool. I mean, it seems elementary, right? Like, but what schools have traditionally done is you go from one to four, you know what I mean? You're yeah, like, technique and then freeze barn. Right, 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 right. And 
I, I, I think the approach you're talking about, and I've seen it, like, you know what I mean? I spend a lot of time in Mass BJJ, and this is the way that Nate teaches too, is kind of progressing through these stages. Yeah. And um, this thing really becomes a, a philosophy. It, it used to be how, you know, like just, just train and spend time on the mat and you'll get better. And now it's how do you progress a student even faster than yeah. we were able to and, do because of. And Pat's a gifted athlete and he's a lifelong martial artist. And some people in every school are going to do really well with that. It's like, show me some techniques and let me roll. So like what you'll get is like, the top 25% will be awesome. You know, they're, they're, they're natural athletes. They'll never give up. They're, 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 they think about jujitsu in the off hours, but you know, 75% of people will be lost. It's like, you just showed me a kind of involved uh, sweep from half guard, but I suck at half guard. And now I'm about to spar with this guy who's bigger and stronger than me. So I'm never going to go to half guard. So that, that class is just lost. It just kind of evaporates into thin air because the 30 minutes of sparring, I avoid half guard like the plague and just forget what I was taught, you know? Uh, I just think, I think it's, a, it's a really fun ideal that, way. Going what? off that though, it's like, Jay is, what, I, because I, I, I know, I do a lot of positional wrestling and just like John said, like if I teach something in class, I want people to feel it 15, 20 times rather than maybe one time in a roll. And there's so many times where I can see the guys looking at the clock, like, and they're like, Hey, um, there's 15 minutes left. Are we going to wrestle? I'm like, you are wrestling. Like you're wrestling right now, but, but I know they want that. And so like, I'll probably give them three, five minute rounds or one 10 minute, whatever it would be at the end. Like they want that free roll, even though it might not be the best. And it's funny. Cause I, this was me too. I know every right. We all do. No one wants to be on the bottom of side control the whole time doing that, <laughs> but it's what, what, where you're getting good. Right. But in a class where you have a lot of people that come in and I always remember like, um, you know, John, you, Patrick and myself and Roberto used to go up to the gym and lift up above. And then we'd come, come back down to Roberto's and do class. And he'd always have us run in the circle, 50 push us, 50 sit us, 50 jumping jacks. And I'm like, well, I don't have to, I don't, why do I have to do push-ups? Like I just did, I just lifted up there and he's like, cause everybody else needs to do the push-ups. I'm like, who cares? Why don't we not, why do we do this? And he's like, cause Nate, some people only come in here twice a week and this is all they do. This is good for them. And if you don't do it, they're not going to, and I look back, I'm like such an idiot, but. No, um, I, but I, I had the same thing. Yeah. Right. And, but you have to do a class for a lot of people. They want that free role, Right. But you're right. Like, Jay, when you come down, we'll either set matches up or it's, okay, Jimmy, you're on top of Jay. Uh, every time you pass, go back. If you sweep him, Jay, go back. Right? We'll set certain things up. Or like, what do you think is going to happen in this? And look at all the MMA fighters. Look at, like, Faraz back in the day and the guys, GSP and those guys up there. They were the ones that I remember that they weren't just beating the crap out of each other and doing full rounds, beating the shit out of each other. They were like, okay, get him on the cage, take him down. He's down get on the cage, do it again. He gets out, put him back in the cage, do it again, do it again, right? You pick your points and you rep stuff out so you get better at those moments. And I think that, as you said, what do you do with the high level guys to get them better? That's, that is what you do with them. But yeah. in a regular class, that for the people that come there twice a week, that it's, they have to wrestle a little bit. Oh, right? it can be too boring. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you're, and you know, you're not training pro fighters and it's a customer service thing and they, they, you want them to leave having had fun and everything. But yeah, you know, I, I still juggle with it and I still always end with a few rounds of free sparring because everyone wants to do that. Yeah. You know, including uh, me. 
I was, remember Hickson, I was um, at um, Rodrigo Vaghi's when Hickson was there, and uh, this is in the early 90s, and someone asked how much they should be drilling and how much they should be sparring, and he said, it depends where you are. And he said, like, a white belt should be drilling all the time because you're not going to get much out of sparring. And he goes, in a black belt, they can go to whatever position they want most of the time when they're wrestling. So they could wrestle all the time and get whatever drilling they need out of it. And he goes, but a white belt probably doesn't want to just drill all the time. So you got to let them wrestle and have fun, right? You got to have fun with the the work, but that was his philosophy on it. I think it's spot on. I'm, and I'm, I'm wondering if they didn't get, I, I'm, I, it's just a guess, but you know, Ben Askren made a post last year about this. Um, and I think wrestlers do this all the time. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, because it doesn't seem too much like judo based. Um, and I'm wondering if this isn't another thing that Holes got from Bob Anderson and other wrestlers and introduced into Gracie Jiu Jitsu and that Hickson got it from Holes. It wouldn't surprise me. So I don't, I don't think um, it comes organically out of judo. I haven't seen this really as a part of a judo class that I've ever been in. Uh, they seem to be more like that. What they call drilling is uh, like a hundred entries and yeah. one throw. And then they go to Rondori, you know, they spar. Yeah. Um, and I think that's more like, you know, Gracie Baja is more like that. Alliance is more like that. So I don't know every, you know, every, most jujitsu schools, uh, at least until the last few years, maybe they, you know, they've gotten smarter, but most jujitsu schools, it was three, maybe related, maybe random techniques, spar, you know, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, like you said, I think we thrived in that environment, but yeah. there were a lot of people that left. There were a lot yes. of people in those days that left. And um, yeah. I think when, when in the same way you were talking, because uh, I was thinking of moving out to, to train with, and live with Hickson because I had been training, going out when he was in St. Louis and training with him. And, um, and I decided to come home, met Roberto. It's so funny because I met um, uh, the guy in Waltham as well. Um, Maffey, yeah. Bill Maffey, because he was under Hickson. I was like, oh, a Hickson blue belt or some black belt I've never heard of. And immediately when I met Roberto, I'm like, this is the guy that I want to yeah, train yeah. with. And I really didn't like Maffey. came off a little kind of crazy to me. Um, but um, I, I really feel like we had such a high level of talented people that were obsessed with jujitsu that I'm really glad I look back. Like you said, th 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 if I had moved to LA, I probably would have been happy and not looked back, but I'm I, where I am here. I'm super happy. Like I think there, this was the only place to train. So everybody came and everybody was yeah. obsessed and, and Roberto had the technical knowledge to give us good jujitsu, but he also had a, a long leash on us and let us just yeah. kind of beat the crap out of each other and go do some Valley Tudo, which turned into MMA, which turned into, I mean, we have people that are high level jujitsu competitors have come out there to UFC people and um, great coaches that have come out of there. And like, I look at all of us and look at all of us that are still involved with jujitsu 30, 20 something years later, like it's kind of crazy. I, I don't know. I looked at like how many of my students 20 years from now will all still be training? Cause there's a lot of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We were all crazy for it. We've all stuck with it for a long time. I am. Yeah. Um, 
And that's, I, I think of that and like a lot of the questions that I've asked kind of lead back to this point where, you know what I mean? You think about from a business perspective or a development perspective, you've got to give students a little bit of what they need and a little bit of what they want. Right. And, but my, it's very difficult to defeat your, your, your mind and your heart because of the way we came up. Right. And you desire to kind of put yourself back in those positions. Mm -hmm. I, I want to kind of recreate those training scenarios that I came up with because, you know, my heart swells when that happens, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like I, I really, I, I, I desire that. And I, you know, I care so much about the people that I came up training with and they were my foundation and they're my world. It's part of the reason we're on this podcast today. These people on the podcast are like really important to me and it can be self because yeah. there are ways out there now. Yeah. Well, I have one for you. It just came to mind as you were talking, Jay, but uh, Homolo Bahal came to Korea and did a couple of seminars. And, you know, I watched him compete and, you know, he's like this big hulking. I mean, he's thin, but he just looks like a bodybuilder and he's obviously like a pro athlete and everything. So I was like, people have seminars. I can usually go for free in Korea, you know. And so I went, but I wasn't expecting much. And he was a really nice guy and a really good teacher. And so we were talking afterwards, you're having dinner. I was talking to him and I'm like, man, you know, it's like, I, I really like the way you teach. And it's like, I, I was expecting you to be more of an athlete because other, other, I won't even name any names, but other famous people come through and it's like, okay, I know you, I know how many gold medals you have, but you're a horrible teacher. You know, I have nothing to learn from. Um, even for free, I just don't go to their seminars anymore. And, and so like homo, and he was super cool. And we were talking and he's like, yeah, he's like, um, I, my competition team is voluntary, right? Like no one has to do it. If they come in, it's like going to be the hardest training of their life and there's no quitting. And like we, he just trains super hard with them. And Homolo drives like under uh, Orange County from where he's from. It's like an hour and a half each way to do wrestling with the, the dough boys or someone, you know, he, uh, he he's just like obsessed with his training it shows right um but he's like he's like but i also have a really good commercial school and he's like if my competition team guys want to come to the normal classes they know that they're just helping me teach they know they don't get to thrash anyone they know that the training's gonna be calmer if they do anything like that i'm kicking them out of my school you know so like that two-tier system i think is the way to go you know, cause, cause not only you, there will be the, the 10% or 20% of guys who want that training and will thrive with that training, but you just can't make a, a school like what Roberta was saying. Some of these guys only train two days a week, mate, you know, they don't, they don't do anything else. You can't make those guys train like they're going to the Olympics, you know, they'll just quit. So Homolo thought it was just like totally normal. He's like, yeah, you have, you have a competition team and you know, no one's forced to do it. So anyone who's there, you can do whatever you want to them because they're volunteering for it. And then you have your school and, and that's about learning, you know, real technical, smooth, refined jujitsu and take off the intensity, take away the chance of injury. And, and some people you'll get, and that this is the great thing about jujitsu. Unlike, you know, like in, in America, like I want to play football or I want to wrestle or whatever. If you're not ready on day one, you get cut and you never get to learn to play football. You never get to learn to wrestle because you're not already big enough and strong enough. Jiu-Jitsu, you can be just the worst, like 
most deconditioned, uncoordinated person. But man, if you don't quit, some of those guys in five years, you're like, I don't recognize you anymore. You're like a little nerd killer now, you know? And, and so like Homolo doesn't even know if the guys who would quit in the first three years in the fourth year, they might be on the competition team wrecking people, you know? So I think it's a good system uh, to have. It's, like how it says, it's not who's best. It's who's left. Yeah, but absolutely. I think the other thing that does is it gives the people that, need jujitsu the most, the opportunity to learn jujitsu, you know? Absolutely. And I never, I don't think I really got that until I got older and was teaching for a long time. And I'd see, you know, the guy that comes in twice a week or the, the woman that comes in twice a week and just shows up and they just come in and, you know, you don't see anything exceptional out of them with their jujitsu. But then one day they come up and they talk about my, my parent died and just being here like you have no idea this is the thing that got me through that or whatever, you know, like, and you realize that they don't have to be the best person in the world at jujitsu for this, for the art to mean so much to them, you know? And, and I think a lot about that, that I, I want those people to continue. You know what I mean? The, the people that are the great athletes, they're going to do it no matter what your job is to kind of whip them harder, right? Make them work harder. But the other sometimes, people, sometimes even keep them from overtraining. Yeah, exactly. They'll go too exactly. hard. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, how do you get those people that, that jujitsu will transform their life, but they just need that hand to get started, you know? Um, and I think about that so, a lot when people walk in. I think that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And if the bar is too high, they never start. Hickson, so I reconnected with Hickson after you know, 20 some years and we, we hung out at a cafe down by the beach and just talked for two hours. And he, he said, he gave a story exactly like what you're saying, Nate. And he admitted that like most of his jujitsu life was just about performance and, and, you know, beating people. And he, he's like, these days his jujitsu has a different focus. He said exactly what you said. The, the analogy he used, he's like, I want to teach jujitsu to a woman and not because I think like, Oh, and the, he's like, when people think about women's self-defense or they make videos, like, Oh, now this women, like, broke this rapist's arm or whatever he's like look that that's cool but it it's not really what happens to most people in their lives the the one he used which was so cool he's like i want to teach a woman jujitsu she goes into a cafe like the one we're at right now she's a really mild kind of not very confident person in her life and she goes she puts her things on a table she goes to order coffee she comes back and there's some dude sitting in her seat and he's like for her whole life she would have apologized and like grabbed her keys and like walked off to a shitty table that she didn't want to sit at and he's like after jujitsu she'd be like not rude not choke him or anything it's like excuse me sir um i was i was sitting here would you mind uh going somewhere else that was his like success story for jujitsu. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, totally. That's awesome. I, I think that for the, I'm, like jujitsu should give us the confidence to be the person we want to be. That's uh, like my goal with the kids growing up. It's again, not that they're going to beat up the bully on the playground, but that the, they'll have the confidence in themselves to be true to what they want to do instead of those peer pressure moments. Like you said, I'll just take my keys and go, or I'll just, yeah do what the group's doing and act like right, the right. ass of the group because I just want to. Right. And, and those, is, um, my number one 
focus uh, in jujitsu right now. George That's awesome. is phenomenal at, at, at kind of pinpointing those people when they come in. You know what I mean? The people that won't look you in the eye, that look at the ground while they're walking. Yeah. And two years of jujitsu and their head is held high and they, you know, they talk to you and they introduce you to their parents. And this is my mom. This is my dad. And they're showing up at tournaments. And George, like, he'll tell me, he'll call me after class and be like, hey, do you see that new guy? I'm going to make that guy awesome. He's going to be, <laughs> he is going to be a killer in a couple of years. And it's like a 130 pound kid who just won't engage. And he's the least physical person you'll ever meet. And they need like, to your point, like, you know, uh, remember Doug, uh, Doug Clenda, but I, I'm thinking of Rick Hawk. I remember Rick Hawk back in the day. Like he was yeah. strong. Rich O'Connor. Remember Rich? Big yeah, guy. yeah. Hands, tough guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's someone like that's going to be good at jujitsu anyway, and they don't need um, such as big of a boost in some of the things we learned from jujitsu. Is some you know someone like you know 125 pounds and George always he's like that kid, that kid who just got slaughtered. You know what I mean in the fundamentals class by like you know a bunch of female blue belts that are killers. You know what I mean like that kid. I am going to make that kid awesome. That kid is going to, you know, his life is going to be revolutionized by this. And maybe like, you know, can we talk a lot about technique and how to make people better at jujitsu and all that stuff? What you guys are talking about now is how you develop someone's life through jujitsu. Like you make that kid bring, hold his head up high. Like, I don't care if he ever wins a tournament. I don't ever care if he, if he taps anybody. And he pretty pulls his head out and like, you know, pushes his shoulders back and he has pride in himself, like, or herself. What what else is there? Yeah, no. There's a couple of guys that I'm thinking of in Korea at one of the two main schools that I teach at. One guy admitted it took him like a year of doing jujitsu to even admit it. But su- even now he's super timid. But but like he just got his brown belt. He 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 is there every day. But he admitted to to me and to the head instructor. He's like, I walked by this school for two years trying to get the nerve up to walk in. It was like on his way to work. And if he had walked in and we had been like, okay, put on some boxing gloves and try to take me down or whatever and punch him and choke him out, he's gone. One day of jujitsu, never train again. He's been training consistently for like eight years. Awesome brown belt, best partner for like new people or women who are a little bit timid, you know, just the awesomest dude in the whole gym. But it took him two years just to walk in the door. And so like, you don't know how hard it was for people to even come talk to you, let alone put on the gi and have someone try to choke them or arm bar them. And so, yeah, I think the, the, the art or the key is like, how do you let all those people train without ever watering down jujitsu? And I think it's doable. I think it's totally doable. Yeah. And it's, it, it can be, you know, you flip the script a little bit. It can be equally as hard. You get someone that's physically gifted, but you don't know what they've been through. Right. When they come in, they come to the door with a lot of baggage and a lot of stuff. And sometimes they're the most difficult people to kind of handle, but you know they need to be there. And you right. teach them a lot of stuff on how to behave, but like, I know you need to be here. Yeah. Um, man, I go, it, like, I just, I like, it's, um, it's like an emo- there's a pretty emotional discussion about like what, how, how you go about sharing something that you've spent so much time with and you try to strategize and philosophize the way that you're going to actually kind of put it out there. And because 
it changed all of our lives. You know what I mean? And it's such an important factor and everybody gets something a little bit different. You know what I mean? You don't know what everyone's dealing with when they come in on the mat and you realize what they need. And it's like, how do you like, how, like you, I think about that. I'm like, how do you structure a, a, like a curriculum to address all this stuff? It's overwhelming. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, if you, I, I think the, I think, um, the Gracie Academy and SVG have done the best job that I've seen. I haven't seen, I haven't, I don't have the time or energy or inclination to look at every single jujitsu program out there. But I think those two like have a really gradual and really commonsensical kind of on-ramp, like super low bar for entry, but super high standards and, and just like giving people only what they can handle, but progressively increasing the resistance and difficulty in a, in a really um, logical kind of way. Yeah. I think it's important. Rather than just, I mean, the way we learned, it's like, okay, you know, here's a couple of chokes. And the next day it's like, here's a guard pass. And the next day here's a footlock. And the next day, you know, if you, it's like stay for 10 years and, and just, and train all the time and you probably get good, but it's not the best way to do it. Right. How did you, um, how, how did you kind of cross paths with Matt Thornton? Steve Whittier brought him to Boston for a seminar. So I was a brown belt. It's probably just months before I got my black belt. I think it was probably 2002. And Steve Whittier had, was running his own school. And Matt, I had seen, I mean, there were, the internet wasn't as developed. So I was still reading like Black Belt Magazine and Inside Kung Fu and stuff. And Matt was writing a lot. And we had pretty similar backgrounds of having done some Jeet Kune Do and been disillusioned with it and sort of landed on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he was writing a lot of highly critical articles about you know the way people a lot of people were training and 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 highly you know praise you know praising articles about jujitsu and so i was like yeah that's basically how my development went so i kind of liked everything he was doing and then steve whittier wanted to bring him in for a seminar and back then i don't know how it is now but it's like be whatever the cost was for saturday and sunday and matt would do a private on friday with the host and one other person and whittier's like hey do you want to do the private with Matt. And I'm like, yeah. And we actually did it at Roberto's downstairs. We, we all met there and we just talked and rolled and did this and that. And we all got along really well. And then the seminar wasn't at Roberto's. It was, he got at some other venue. He rented some place. I, I forget. Um, but we did the seminar and I told Matt, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm graduating in a couple months and I'm moving back to California. And he's like, where in California? I said, Chico, he said, my dad's in Chico. And so, you know, he was, he, so I moved and I had an academy for a year in Chico and he came down and then I went up to camps in Portland and, you know, just, just kind of pretty organically we got along and, um, you know, Roberto, if Roberto had had some kind of organization at the time, I probably would have done that, but Roberto really didn't. It was just kind of, here's your black belt. <laughs> um, so Yeah just just worked out that way and i and i faded in and out of svg when i was kind of moving back to korea and busy but then from about 10 years ago or so it's it, they got more and they weren't that organized they got more organized um i got more into it and closer with some of those guys but you know every time i'm back i, I still make it a point to see roberto I, I have a standing invitation I've, I haven't had a seminar in Korea that I've hosted yet. There, all these famous guys come through and I can go for free. 
but I've never hosted anyone. And Roberto has a standing invitation to be the first guy. And he's like, yeah, man, that's good. But then how about this May? Well, maybe next fall. And how, okay, Roberto, how about this fall? Well, maybe next spring. So he hasn't taken the invitation, but he knows, like, I'm not, he has the first invitation before anyone from SBG or Henry or anyone. So like, you know, I, there's no question that, you know, he's, he's my main coach for, um, purple, brown, black belt, you know, except, except for blue belt. So it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, Roberto was like a, such a really important part of a lot of difficult times for a lot of people. And like, a, such a great part of all the good times too. He's so difficult to pull in the limelight, right? Like he doesn't want credit for anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, hey, come do this. <clears throat> he doesn't want to make a big deal out of anything. And I'm like, hey, man, like what what you've done is like really important. It's really like he doesn't even care about like, you know, the stripes on his own belt or like, you know what I mean? Or the notoriety of having someone mention his name when they do something important. Just so even though he was the foundational element for those people, he does could care less about any of that stuff. He like just cares about his people. It's like, Hey, if you have a black belt and you want to open an Academy, like, let me know what I can do to help. I'll, I'll help you install mats. You know what I mean? And, um, outside of jujitsu, I feel like he's like kind of an inspiration of how I continually want to behave in this thing. Yeah. Super, super good guy. Is yeah. I hope he does. He takes you up on the offer though. I, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a standing offer. So, and then yeah, I don't bother him about it, but I'll just remind him <laughs> once a year, you know, I don't want to pester him, <clears throat> but like I should be in Boston at some point this, I mean, who knows with all this COVID-19 stuff, but, um, my daughter's one way or the other, she's going to school on the East coast. She's trying to decide between a couple of schools, Harvard, but no rejected, but, but she did really well. She <laughs> What's got close? in, she, What's she, close to here? she got into Dartmouth and she got into UPenn got waitlisted at Columbia and Berkeley. Um, but she's not interested in living in New York or Berkeley. And I don't, I don't particularly want her to be in New York or Berkeley either. So it's going to be, it's going to be UPenn, uh, which is better for her. She wants to be an art major and they have a ton of classes and better jujitsu or Dartmouth, which is just, you know, cool liberal arts college. But either way, um, you know, we're going to, if assuming she doesn't take a year off because of COVID, we'll be getting her moved in whenever August, September. And I'll, I'll definitely just come right to Boston after that. You're going to make me a wallet. <clears throat> I mean, I can <laughs> talk about price offline postage. Come on, man. That's crazy. I don't know how long no, I see all this stuff you make. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, hey, so you've been training with Henry Aikens a bunch. What, uh, what draws you to him? Um, his, his, uh, Jiu-Jitsu, I think, is is the most technically sound and technically coherent Jiu-Jitsu that I've ever felt. Like, the, there's like a a philosophy to what he does that's always applied, and um, the it's just you really have to feel it because it's like Pat. Like to watch it, it's like oh, like I know I know that, you know. And people say about Hickson too, right? Is he, he, watching Hickson. Well, I mean, in his prime, he was a, such a specimen. But if you watched him in a gi, you couldn't see what he actually like, what his body looked like, or and you'd just be like, "Oh, he's moving so slow." I I would pull my arm out, or I would do this, or I would do that. But then you actually roll with him, and you're it's like you're paralyzed. Like so, you know. 
so yeah, Henry just, I've never felt better pressure ever in my life, like top pressure. And he's heavier than me, but he's not, I, I've rolled with guys who are 280 pounds. He weighs like 205 or something. Best top pressure, most efficient, like least amount of wasted movement. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's pretty simple. It's nothing big, right? Just, and, and also his doing his jujitsu. And so that's his jujitsu. But when I do his jujitsu, I, I, I literally feel like I'm doing half as much and getting twice the results. So that's really, if it, if it was just him, like, Oh, I'm not hero worshiping like, oh, I like Hoffa Mendez's Barambolo. I'm not going to do that, right? So it doesn't make any sense for me to train with Hoffa, even though I like watching him. I can do everything Henry does, and when I do it, it translates immediately into like extremely obvious, measurable upticks in my jiu-jitsu performance. That's pretty incredible. I think I, I think that that throws a, a wrench in the spokes of watching too much tape on the people that you might compete against or fight against because you see the techniques they do and you can kind of say, okay, well, that's their game plan, but you don't really know until like Kenny's a great example of that. Like you might know he's going to dig into your collar and he's going to put pressure on you, but until you feel it, you're like, I don't know what's going to be like that. Like I figured, Oh, I can escape this or I can sweep the person like this, but until you feel their jujitsu. And I think with folks like you're talking about, you talk about Hen Henry or Hickson, like, everything is about what you don't see. It's about how it feels when, when they're doing it. And I think that's true mastery right there. Like, do I like, would an awesome Barambolo be cool? Yeah. Great. But they like someone like Hickson or Henry, like they don't need that. They like that. Yeah. that that's a piece that they don't, <clears throat> don't see where this fits. What I, what I do because I'm not going to end up in a position where I need to do that because fundamentally I would have made mistakes long ago if I needed that. Right. But yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to explain beyond that, you know, just, just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have this much to do with him. I mean, we'd be friends and we'd be cordial and everything, but I wouldn't seek out every opportunity to train with him. unless, like every time I, I mean, and it's good because like when I met him, my jujitsu was already whatever it was. It was good enough you know, and I had enough. And then working with him, I see these big jumps that I hadn't seen in since like purple belt or something. Because the jumps get really, really small, brown and black belt. Like you're happy to move this much. Right. And then now I've been a, you know, I got my black belt 18 years ago. No. Does that make sense? Yeah. Geez. I got my black belt 18 years ago. So, you know, to make, to be making really, really big jumps. And then also, and also I like, I like it for teaching too. I mean, it, it gives me material to teach because I think his material is super solid and it is very non-attribute based. You don't have to be super fast or flexible or strong to do any of the things he shows. And that really attracts me as well. What, uh, what's your goals, man? Your jujitsu goals now? Stay healthy. You know, I tra train as much as possible. It's it's so simple, right? Like, I don't care about making world champions. I don't care about, you know, I'm available for everyone who wants to learn from me. But like a lot of my guys are like, you know, 
they're they're skipping warm-ups and even skipping techniques to watch you know the latest leg lock video and then come in to class and just try to do that or you know what i mean and it it, it, it bothers me a little bit until like i was complaining to henry about it and he's like oh yeah just like my guys and i'm like wait but you know you're like hickson's you know fastest black belt and people you know ship you all over the world and pay you all this money and you know and he's like oh yeah but at my school he's like yeah they're 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 trying to do all this they're watching videos and skipping my warm-ups too and i'm like okay i feel bad for you but i feel better for myself <laughs> like you can't there's just some lot of dumb people out there you can't force them to train the right way so now i'm like trying to just like get rid of that attachment to why don't you train exactly like me it's like look you know like i have i teach team training friday mornings and saturday afternoons like whatever i do during the week is depending on how busy i am but if i'm in korea if my body is in korea i'm basically teaching our our team training which is you know open to all all the different academies and and all the instructors should come to you know update their jujitsu and some come and some don't and it used to bother me and now it's just like man you they know where i am they, they know what i'm offering and and i'm going to be doing that for my whole life until i'm physically not capable of doing it and then also you know constantly trying to improve my own jujitsu and and other things and that's it like there's no there there's only that macro goal right there's no micro goal of i want to make this guy a world champion or i want my myself to be able to do something like in, in my physical training i'm not trying to get my bench press numbers up or my in yoga i'm not trying to do the splits it's like being there is enough for me as as a student and as a teacher like everything good comes from being there with the right intention and then that and i that's all i can control and so that's a beautiful beautiful thing about jujitsu <clears throat> it takes a long time to start applying it to your life but it's exactly the same like if 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 some 250 pound guy is on top of me inside control it doesn't matter if I say, well, he's a purple belt and I'm a black belt. It's like, I can't really move him. I can only move myself. Right. And it's, and it's the same thing emotionally and, 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 you know, psychologically, it's like, look, I can't make anyone feel a certain way about jujitsu. I can't make anyone show up on a certain day of jujitsu. You know, I can just control my own, what I'm doing physically and what I'm doing mentally and people who, who get it will get it. And, and those who don't won't, but I'll give you one. It this just popped into my head. I'll give you. I, I was one thing that helped me. I always felt this way, but you have moments of doubt, like, "Oh, am I, am I doing this wrong? Is it working?" And I was having some moments of doubt. And a couple of years ago, I got called to do a seminar at one of our newer affiliates, and he's an MMA fighter, and he runs an MMA gym, but he affiliated with us for jujitsu. So I don't know this guy, and he's a fighter, and he's training fighters. So I don't really know what to expect. But I go and I do a seminar. And he's like, oh, do you know I jo joined John Frankel's team? And I'm like, no, because I don't do any of that. He joined through, I have a guy who manages all the affiliations and stuff. He's like, I knew I needed jujitsu because he had done sambo and stuff. And he realized that that wasn't very good for, you know, he wanted to be a good grappler for MMA. And he realized he needed jujitsu. He was looking for a coach. And there's a Cobrinha affiliate here. And he went to that guy. And, and he's like, this is just not effective for MMA, what they're teaching. And then Henner was doing a seminar here. And so he went to the Henner seminar and I didn't even know him at this point. And this is like two years later, he tells me, he's like, I noticed you were at the Henner seminar. 
and, and I'm like, oh yeah, I was at that seminar. And he's like, and you were like four, three black belt. And you just sat there and did everything Henner told you to do. You grabbed your partner and you spent, it was an eight hour day. He did like these four, two hour sessions. And he's like, you just sat there and you didn't say like, I do it this way or like try to say like, oh, in my, you know, when I was learning and he's like, you just sat there and, and just like learned jujitsu for eight hours. And he's like, then I realized it's like, man, I'm going to go join his team. That's he's, he's got the right idea about jujitsu. So like the people who are meant to get it are going to get it and you don't know who they are and you can't control them, but I'm just out there doing what I think is natural. I'm not acting. This is how I really believe people should act and train. And then the people who get it, they're going to get it, you know, dude, is when it, when it, when is the, uh, the next John Frank Frankel East coast U S tour. So it should be uh, late summer. Once I get Anna into the dorms, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make the rounds. Yeah, man. Got it. We have to get you to port city. I'd love to. This time around. I know we've talked about it and we've kind of flirted with some stuff and no, nah, man, it's all good. I'll be there. And I'm on sabbatical. So I have another, I have a full year in the last sabbatical. I was, I was in Belmont and I was training at Roberto's and training at Nate's because Anna was, had to be in one location to be in elementary school, but now she's going off to college. So I'm just going to be traveling for the year. I can go wherever I want, whenever I want. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. Hopefully uh, someday we'll take the great Northeast BJJ podcast to visit you in Korea. Oh, anytime. Korea is a blast. Yeah, the food is awesome. The people are awesome. Jiu-jitsu is good now. I mean, there's a lot of good jiu-jitsu. You, you guys have, have a great time if you ever can make it over here. I got to try some of that soju. Oh, dude. It will be here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't not watch you. You post videos of you making it all the time, and I can't not watch. I'm like, that's going to be so good when it's done. Uh, it's interesting stuff. Like, do you do a lot of non-traditional soju recipes or are you, do, are you doing mostly traditional? Fairly traditional. Fairly traditional. Yeah. What's it come out with uh, at the end for ABV? It's up to me, but I usually cut it about 65%, like 130 proof. It's, Holy it's shit. Yeah. You can just, <laughs> you can, if you want more volume, then you get less ABV, but like everything off the shelf is like 80 proof, right? 40%. So I don't want to reproduce that I can buy off the shelf. Right. That's strong. Oh, yeah. But it's you'd be surprised how smooth it is. Well, and I, we're going to need the opportunity, so it looks like we're going to have to go to Korea. Let's do it. All right. Nate, cool. thanks for coming on with us, man. That was great. Yeah, no, thanks for showing up, both of you guys. I, I thought it was going to be me and George, and I'm like, oh, that – after an hour, so that could – just because because what happens is like he, i knew you'd have good questions george but I'm like man i don't want to be like and then john frankel in 2002 john frankel did this and in 2003 john frankel did that being like some egomaniac but with you guys it makes it much more organic thank you for coming on yeah sure <laughs> i i um i just um you know i want to say thanks both to you and nate you know, for joining, obviously there's a little bit of, uh, about you, John, kind of your history that you get to and kind of your approach, but thank you guys both for coming. It's, this is a really difficult time for a lot of people in jujitsu and um, both of you guys are people that I'm very proud to be part of kind of my jujitsu lineage and the people that I've spent time with. And I see what you guys are doing. Um, and when people mention your names, like I'm, I'm literally like a schoolgirl, like I'm like a rock, you know, fan. I'm like, oh, I know him. I know him. I know that guy. 
I know that guy. And so I'm, I'm super proud of what you guys are doing. And uh, you're, you're a couple of the most honorable people I know. And I'm like really proud to kind of share your stories with, with everybody. And uh, I just hope that sometime soon we can get together personally and you guys can choke me a little bit and we can tell more stories. Yeah, man. I feel blessed that you, you guys are all running schools. Like when I do wind up on the East coast, I can just like, Hey, I'm, I'm in Cambridge. Boom. Going to Nate's, you know, or, Hey, we're, you know, I got a car in a little time going go to port city. It's like, if you guys were just like working at banks or something, it'd be like, Oh yeah, we, we email each other, but I got nowhere to train, you know? So thanks for keeping it going over there. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't, I can't wait till this thing's over, man. Uh, it'll be exciting, you know, for you to bring your daughter to, to oh, yeah. the, and spend some time with you. That'll be killer. Yeah. And well, like about COVID-19 and everything, like you said, it's, it's Chris Howder. I mean, it's who's left. I mean, it is jujitsu, right? It's, it's boring as, as hell and we all want to be training. But on the other hand, it's like that idea, like who's left at the end, like who doesn't quit controlling yourself. You can't really control external circumstances. So you know, we'll be talking five years from now and this will just be like, Oh yeah, remember. And it'll seem short, you know? Right. I'm hoping that way. I'm hoping that way. Um, so anyway, guys, thanks so much. I, I appreciate everything. Um, I'll see you guys all soon. Be well. Um, give your best to your family, my best to your families. And Oh, uh, John also any, any, anybody you want to, like, do you want to, uh, any website or pump or like, you know what I mean? Obviously your own jujitsu school, but like, uh, just Oh no, like everything I'm doing right now is in Korea. So like, I've already, I've already said like in terms of like worldwide resources, you know, I, I, I think SBG, Henry Akins, Gracie Academy for in terms of like online curriculum and things that you can really follow. Those three are the ones that, that make sense to me. And I've, I've put time and energy and money into like, Marcelo and the Mendez brothers just to see what it was like I wasn't just like that's not for me that's too narrow-minded right but you know it, it just the the ones that really I kept coming back to and seemed like the best technical jujitsu and the best philo philosophical jujitsu I think those those are the three that I really keep coming back to everything else I do is kind of local there's no reason to plug some local yoga school in Seoul or something <laughs> local kettlebell school in Seoul or anything, but yeah, they're, they're, they're all, they're all cool. And, I, and I'm glad they're here though. I think maybe go check out John Frankel, BJJ and, and Seoul Korea. Maybe go train with that guy. I, I hear he's pretty good. Well, fun. Seek him out. <laughs> Thanks you guys. Thank you, Thank you very much. Be well guys. Thank you, you guys. You too. See ya.